Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Friday morning, November the 10th, 843-661-0937. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. That's right. You want to jump right in it. We don't want to talk football. Rev's discouraged, disappointed, despondent. Um, I think he's got a break away later in the show, toward the end of the show today. Um, so he's, he's planning his trip to go to Columbia <laughs> to watch the Gamecocks play the Smart Boys. And it looks like the high 57 or 8. Yep. And rain. And rain. And Vanderbilt. Yep. But there's one silver lining there, Rev. What is it? Vanderbilt's the team of the SEC that we've consistently beaten. Yeah. There's that. Um, They cash their check and build a library. Everybody else cashes their check and builds a, a luxury suite in the end zone or another upper deck to add uh, to the seating capacity. And, uh, yeah, Vanderbilt is kind of the – um. They would be the misfit in the SEC, but they're essential to our conference viability, Rev. You know why? I'm not sure we'd be legally bona fide as a conference because our SAT scores would probably not comply with the, with the NCAA unless you put Vanderbilt as part of it. Uh, they've got a cheer. I've been to many, many, many games against Vanderbilt, basketball and, and, um, and football, and their baseball program's elite. I mean, their baseball program is as good as any in America. But when you go to a uh, to a Vanderbilt football game, Josh, and in the third quarter you whooping them forty six to three, they start the cheer. You ready? That's all right. That's okay. You guys will work for us one day. That's good. That's yeah, good that, one. That, yeah. that, that, that is and, very I mean, and, and true. And you're like, yeah, he's right. I went to the Vanderbilt homecoming. I don't know why. I went to the Vanderbilt homecoming. You one year when I think they're they're looking at the SEC schedule and they say, what one team do we have a chance to beat? I mean, Mississippi State or South Carolina. So let's get the Gamecocks to be our homecoming. So we go to the game in Nashville. My wife and I went, spent a weekend in Nashville. You know, she kind of, um, she puts up with me in football. She enjoys Nashville. So we go to Nashville. We do her thing. We go to the football game, and it's homecoming. And we end up with good seats. I don't know how we ended up with good seats. Some friend of mine at USC knew someone on staff at Vanderbilt. Anyway, we end up with good seats. But I mean, it's a smaller stadium. I don't want to insult anybody, but you ready? It would be an ACC kind of stadium. Ooh, um, ooh, ooh early this morning. ACC <laughs> kind of stadium is what I said. So um, so they're having the homecoming uh, pomp and circumstance, and the candidate number one, contestant number one, has a uh, is majoring in nuclear physics with a minor in biological um, science. Uh, candidate number two is majoring in pre-med with a minor in um, quantum physics. Candidate number three, the guy looks behind me and he says, what, what them beauty queens at USC major in? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going like, okay, I get it. Okay, fair enough. It's, it's not nuclear uh, physics and, and quantum science at all. Quantum, but what am I trying to quantum? Uh, quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics. There you quantum go. Quantum mechanics. mechanics uh, something like that. So uh, Vanderbilt has always been. Uh, is it more elite than Duke? I mean, when you think of Southern schools that have academic reputations, is it Duke or Vanderbilt? I mean, those are the two I Ooh. think about. Yeah, I mean, that'd be a good, uh, yeah, good question. I don't but think obviously, could... the the Ivy League has its, you know, prestige. I'm not saying it's a better school than Vanderbilt. Everything I read today, and I read a lot about it because I want to be prepared to pick on higher education. Everything I read today has Stanford ahead of the Ivy League schools. Hmm. I mean, it's like Stanford one, uh, you know, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Dartmouth, Columbia, some of those schools number two, three, four, five, and six. Um, George Washington. And Georgetown are always up there uh, because they're affluently pedigreed. 
Um, and then you've got Stanford, Vanderbilt, Duke, Northwestern would be a school that, you know, has a high, I don't know, people think a lot of it as academically inclined. But it, what the Southern school with the best academic reputation, is it App State, Josh? I mean, I'll admit it's not the University of South Carolina or Clemson. And I think you would admit it's not App State. No. Okay, fair enough. But is it Vanderbilt? Hmm. How many, how many football players? Well, I mean, tomorrow, the one thing you can't do is try to trick them. You know, you run misdirection and play option or run pass options and all. Those guys tend to stay at home because they tend to be above average intellect. Not big and fast, but smart. Um, here's the problem. Smart helps in a lot of walks of life. Big and fast helps more on the, on the football field. So normally when the smart guys play the big and fast guys in an athletic endeavor, guess who wins, Josh? The big and fast guys normally beat the smart guys. There you in, go. In those fairs. But, um, but anyway, Rev's going to the game. I'm not going. I mean, it's a noon kick playing Vanderbilt. I will, um, I will watch it on the tube. Thumbs Clemson play tomorrow. I think they may play at noon, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, um, we've got the yeah, perfect. They play at noon. Yeah, we got the perfect Saturday next week. Um, we'll make our way to Williams Bryce. And Clemson plays at 3.30. So every television on the tailgate trail will be watching the Tar Heels and, and the Tigers. And as much as I pull against Clemson, and I'm being honest, I, mean, I, don't, I don't hate anybody from Clemson. It's nothing like that. But as much as I pull against the Tigers, I'll have a problem pulling against them when they play North Carolina. It's almost like you guys just have at it. You know, whoever loses, I'll be happy. And whoever <laughs> wins, I'll be unhappy. But you guys just uh, just have at it. And I did get a couple of answers to that question uh, from Clemson fans when, when, when I, I think I asked earlier this week, is there a team that Carolina plays that you catch yourself not pulling against the Gamecocks as much as you normally would? Tennessee. I mean, that was the team that two or three people said, I, I don't like the volunteers. I mean, the way you feel about North Carolina, I feel about Tennessee. But I, as an old school Gamecock fan, I've got a history with North Carolina. I mean, being a former member of the ACC, an original member of the ACC back in the basketball days, uh, I don't think NC State did this. I don't think NC State looked at South Carolina Clemson, you know, as as lesser than, but but the Chapel Hill crowd has always been a bit wine and cheesy, and um, I don't like the wine and cheesy crowd. I've always felt NC State was one of the similar universities to South Carolina. I mean, they really are. It's a, it's a flagship university. It's in the, and by that, I mean, it's in the state's capital. It is, um, it's a big university. It's a well-funded university. Uh, it's an underachieving university when it comes to athletics. And I think, you know, NC State and South Carolina have always had a lot in common uh, in relation to that. Uh, you, you, let's give an economics report. I'm not talking about GDP. I'm not talking about what the Fed did yesterday. And there's some reason to be concerned about what the Fed said yesterday. I actually have it on CNBC this morning because I wanted to make sure some of what I read yesterday was accurate. Um, Jerome Powell says the Fed is not confident it has done enough to bring down inflation. Well, I mean, we printed $7 trillion of new money. We kept interest rates, you know, below 3 4%. You created a, 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 you know, a reality of inflation that has never been created in the history of mankind. You shouldn't feel confident that you've done enough uh, to bring inflation down. Uh, and, and here we are. I mean, I think this is the beginning of you know, hard times, as Dusty Rhodes said, uh, the famous wrestler. But here's two things that I want to touch on. And um, and I've got a weird way. I told you G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip is kind of how I look at the uh, the economy. and Because I don't know that I'm smart enough to understand. I didn't go to Vanderbilt. 
I, I don't understand all these other measures that may or may not predict what is to come. But here are two things I've always paid attention to. And I went back and looked last night. Truck driver hours. Truck drivers keep logbooks. Truck drivers are allowed to drive so many hours a week. Uh, you got to rest and you got to drive. And I mean, you got tandem teams. You got husband and wives that drive with double sleepers and they kind of live in that truck. And they can, I mean, they can really make, they can make hay. I mean, they can make money. Man sleeps while the woman drives. Woman sleeps while the man drives. I mean, you, you, you've seen this on television before. They, they live in that truck. But um, truck driver hours in the last 45 days is down about 15%. That's a big deal to me. Uh-oh. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, that's a, you've heard me say this to mm-hmm. you. My father always said, you know, we would be driving down the road and there'd be a truckload of steel. And my dad would always say that that's probably a better measurement than some of those smart guys that predict Dan, you know, um, argue about the cycles of, of, of the economy. He's probably right, but truck driver hours per the log books and, and, and how they keep the logs is down 15% cardboard box demand is down about 12%. That matters to me. I, once again, I have to look at things. When you're aptitudinally challenged and you can't dig into the minutiae and you didn't go to Vanderbilt, you'll get whooped tomorrow, but you didn't go to Vanderbilt and understand, you know, the theories of the economy and Keynesian economies and uh, classic liberalism. Uh, you you got to kind of look at things you do understand. And having lived the life I did before I got this job as a radio show host, cardboard box shipments. I mean, that, that mattered to me. Demand, the demand for cardboard boxes. And how many drivers, how many truck drivers are, are pushing it to the limit? That's a good economy. And and one is down 10, uh, 15%. The other is down 12%. That's a big number. I mean, it, normally in recessions. Those are where the rubber hits the road I mean, That's exactly, literally and figuratively. Literally, exactly. I mean, literally and figuratively. I'm putting stuff in a box to put on a truck to send to somebody. I mean, that's true commerce. I mean, that's not newfangled. That's not J.P. Morgan risk managing the Fed's balance sheet. I mean, that matters. I understand all those fundamentals and technicals matter, but those two numbers are two numbers I've always just paid attention to because, once again, G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu Grip says, if you're putting stuff in a box, putting it on a truck, the economy's probably okay. If we're putting less stuff in a box, delivering less stuff by truck drivers is probably not uh, the best sign to come. I want to save this for a bit. So there's our um, economic report. You don't need Jerome Powell saying the Fed's not confident it's done enough to bring down inflation. The economy is slowing. There were fewer new mortgage applications last month than when the world blew up. Because when the world blew up, what did we do? And this is probably the scary part of this, the scary proposition. When the world blew up, the Fed had the chance to lower rates. I mean, we weren't fighting rampant inflation. Now we've got all this inflation. The Fed knew when they raised the rates, it was going to cause disarray in the housing market, but they can't lower rates to get the housing market back straight. They've got to keep rates high to address inflation, and that kills some of the housing market. And we know how important housing is um, to an American to, to the American economy. I asked this question, and nobody responded. A couple of people did on text. Is housing too big to fail? I mean, remember when I argued hypothetically for a nationalized interest rate and in in an account every individual has at the Fed? Yep. I mean, the Fed has a, a Dave Baker account, and Baker can go borrow $300,000 to buy a home on a nationalized interest rate. I mean, the Fed does its thing exclusive of the housing sector, 
And that's really kind of what J.D. Vance is talking about. I'm not saying we should or shouldn't do that. I mean, of course, it's distorting and manipulating the economy, but it's distorting and manipulated economy to advantage Dave Baker and not J.P. Morgan or BlackRock. I mean, isn't that kind of what, what we're saying? So what if, what if, and I think we spoke, well, I know we did. You guys went with, uh, the three of us went yesterday to the Darlington Rotarians and addressed that group, and it ended up talking about the debt and the Fed. Um, I think one thing we've said recently that makes sense, and, and it's not accurate, but it makes sense. A trillion dollars is almost supernatural. I mean, it is. I mean, we, we've always said, well, the supernatural is the realm of God in heaven, and we don't understand that in the universe and the galaxy and, you know, the earth tilting and the earth tilting back and the sun. And the, I mean, we, we accept that that's the work of God. Well, most of us accept. There's some morons that believe in the Big Bang, and it just happened. Okay, good luck with that. Um, you believe in a lot bigger miracle than I do. <laughs> I mean, if you believe things just happened, wow, you believe in a much bigger miracle uh, than I believe in. But, but the, the number trillion. Yesterday when I said, you know how many a trillion seconds is? And everybody's looking like, well, no, I don't have any. 32,000, 33,000 years. And the look on everyone's face is like, he's lying. I mean, yeah, he's you, made, you can't fathom he, that. He's made that up. I mean, he, there's no way. 32,000 years ago? One second? Yes. I mean, that's true. It's almost a supernatural number. It's almost an incomprehensible number. It's almost like, you know, is Indiana Jones real? No, he's not real. Is a trillion? No, we don't know $33 trillion. That's some supernatural argument. But we do. We absolutely do. And we're adding on to that debt and adding on to that debt. Now, now give him credit. Our, our beloved Mitt Romney yesterday came out with the, um, the Fiscal Stability Act. But he wants to appoint a commission. Hmm. Always appointing a commission. And the body politic. You know why you appoint a big commission, don't you, Rev? If I'm on a commission and you're on a commission and Josh is on a commission, whose fault is it? I can point my finger at Josh. Josh can point his at Rev. Rev can point his at me. Commissions. <laughs> and nothing gets yeah. solved. Blue ribbon panels. How many blue ribbon panels and commissions do we need in Washington? No more. We don't need any more uh, than we have. I gave Josh warning, and we'll take a break. I gave Josh warning that I'm going to put him in a place that he didn't decide to go. But because of his extreme stance on abortion, he's asked for this. No sympathy to Josh. He's asked for this because of this unbelievably extreme position he's taken on abortion. Take a few. Uh, take a break. Back at a few. 843-661-0937. Our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Joe in Hartsville. Morning, Joe. You're on. Yeah, good morning, guys. I had to laugh when you said they were going to create a blue ribbon commission. I remember back when Obama was elected, they created that blue ribbon commission with Simpson Bowles. <clears throat> you remember that? I do. I've read that. There's some and, good ideas in there, some not so good ideas in there. Great. There were some really good ideas, and you're right. There were some bad ideas, but it would have balanced everything our biggest problem is the next Congress is not bound by anything the previous Congress did. They're, you know, they put these 10-year budgets out and project, and and the next Congress is not screwed up. Because, you know, they, they they came up with the sequestration after Simpson Bowles, and they've blown through those caps. They just do away with them. 
just like the other day when they said, okay, we're going to give $14.3 billion to Israel, but it's paid for. How is it paid for when the money you took from the IRS was borrowed to start with? How's that paid for? I'm, I'm being lied to by the people I'm voting in the office that are supposed to be our our heroes, it's not paid for. When you borrow money, it's borrowed money. I don't give a darn what you do. And just because you take $14 billion out of that $180 billion that you borrowed, that's still borrowed money. And and I, for the life of me, I don't understand. Ronald McDaniel said that they don't get involved in state. Well, the Democrats do. That's why they got outspent 10 to 1 in the states. Virginia was begging for money, and the RNC wouldn't give them a dime. But the Democrats are just flooding the airways, telling, you know, Republicans are going to put you in jail if you have an abortion, or they're going to put the doctor in jail. All because... One person might have said that. They take that and run with it. And for some reason, the Republicans won't push back on it. And you have to. If if you let a lie run for five seconds, it gets around the world before the truth even comes out. So we're. this has been a nice run for this little republic. And and to explain to Josh what a democracy is, that's three wolves and two sheep voting on what's for dinner. Y'all have a good day. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. Let, let, let's go. I'm going to hold on to abortion for one second because I'm going to go there with Josh in just a minute. The problem with the Republican, I mean, there's a lot of problems with both parties. Their stances and positions they hold, there are voters that agree with the consensus of the leadership. There are voters that disagree with the consensus of the leadership. But but the one thing that has to happen, the Republican Party, and I think Robert said this a couple of days ago when he called in so graciously. Robert said, we're having fancy debates. They're winning elections. I, every, overhead is a big deal. I mean, in business, for those that don't run a business, uh, overhead is how much does it cost to run the business? And, and, and the rest is left to uh, enjoy his profit. The Democrats put about 90% of the money raised on the playing field. They take about 10% overhead. That's what they run their organizations with. About 90 cents of every dollar that Democrats raise goes to win elections. We're at about 72%. We have about 28% overhead. We run debates. We have consultants. We hire strategists. We do all of these things. And I think Robert said it eloquently, before Republicans compete in elections, the consulting class has to back its truck up to get their load, their stash. It's called Conservative Inc. Who is it? Well, it's not one person. What is it? It's not one cause. But but our party has been dominated. And historically, Rev, it's been neoconservatism. I mean, it's been the the defense contractors, the military-industrial complex. I mean, they've looked at us. And I'll tell you how you know that Raytheon has no ideological core. Raytheon is now giving Democrats more money. Why? Because Raytheon has found this non-interventionist strain in the Republican Party, 
and it's not as fertile ground. It's not as it's just not as, as smart for them to donate to Republicans today, especially America Firsters, when they know this other party has become the new hawks. They believe in the American presence around the world. They want to, you know, make sure we settle the disputes that can't be settled other than American interventionism or involvement, or as I like to say, imperialism. You know, the, the American empire has been exported to places around the world. But the Democrats have always, for whatever reason, been more committed to making sure that money's spent to win elections. And Conservative Inc., Josh has to get paid because he's got a consulting firm. Rez a strategist. I mean, we can't cut him and his hundred uh, people out. I'm an attorney, and I've done a lot of work with the GOP, and we've been, I mean, we've been through the ringer together. Remember that race back in Iowa? Remember that abortion private expenditure campaign we ran in, in Nebraska? And everybody gets paid, and that's the animus toward America first. The America firsters are saying, and it goes back to Drew and I have this disagreement, and I respect Drew. I really do. I mean, I respect Drew McKissick. I don't know how much of a ding Drew takes by what happened in Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, and, and Mississippi. And you can say it happened in Mississippi. Trump gets 58% of the vote. Tate gets 51.7% of the vote. Our RNC, our national party, is just not as good as the Democrats. They're just better at it. The reason they're better at it is they don't have everybody backing their trucks up trying to get paid. They've got people getting paid, rest assured, but it's not 28%. I mean, if you raise a million dollars and 900000 goes to the campaign itself, you raise a million dollars and your opponent puts $720,000 on the, on the campaign, one candidate has a distinct advantage over the other. There's this big debate now in Virginia. The RNC offered help. And Yunkin said no, or one of Yunkin's aides said no. Now, now Yunkin's aides today is saying, I didn't say that. I mean, we needed a million dollars. We needed about $1.75 million in the last days to confront the situation we found ourselves in. Now, I never bought into to Yunkin. I think Yunkin's a good retail politician. I think Yunkin's a moderate Republican. I think you can sell Glenn Yunkin in Virginia. But I never believed that Yunkin had coattails and Yunkin was a movement sort of candidate. Now, the establishment, I mean, they're, they're, they're all interested in this guy. DeSantis can't beat Trump. Haley can't beat Trump. If Yunkin has a big night in Virginia, we could recruit or draft him. I mean, that was always the plan. They're not telling you that. But they oppose Donald Trump. And the reason they oppose Trump is there's change coming. And the change may involve... Uh, instead of 28% being put in pockets and, and, and bank accounts of consultants and, 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 and strategists and, and lobbyists and law firms, that money may actually go to represent the interests of the voters and try to win elections. And that's a big haircut. I mean, that's a life-changing movement. It doesn't matter to talk radio. I'm not depending on a Republican being an officer or a Democrat. In fact, our job's probably easier. We're a little bit like, I mean, we, we find ourselves a little bit like the, the Republicans when Roe was law of the land. I mean, when Roe was law of the land, what could Republicans do? They could campaign and rail against Roe. And, you know, Roe is calling, causing all of these innocent babies to be killed. And, and all of a sudden, you've got to do something about it. So, so it's harder for us to come in every day and defend a Republican president than it is to attack a Democrat. But, but we've got to figure out a way to dissolve conservative ink and make sure more of this money the party raises goes specifically to win races and not fund 
these consultant strategists and law firms who have gotten fat and happy, whether they win or lose. Take a break. Back in a few. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. Oh, me some of that conservative ink money. It's about 28%. The Democrats are spending about 10% overhead. The 90% goes on the playing field to whip our butts. And we're spending about 72 cents. And it's hard to win when they have that big an advantage in getting the message out. It's not the message. It's the ability to get the message out. And that takes television, radio, internet ads. That costs money. Let's go to the phone. Breeze, good morning. You're on. Kid, you know, I'm a humble man. Maybe I don't understand things. Um, So let me ask you, are you telling your viewers that the Republican Party is screwing us? Yes. Yes. That's what I thought you were. But that's still Trump, Biden. So what you're telling us is that Republican Party, in some ways, is more corrupt than the most corrupt party on earth, the Democrat Party. Because at least the Democrats are using their money for the cause. We are giving money to our Republican Party, who we just were talking to yesterday on the phone, and they are spending it on themselves. Am I reading that correctly? Yes, and and the one thing you got to give the Democrats respect for, they're on the record. They're trying to beat Republicans. I mean, that's their job. They don't make any bones about it. They're trying to defeat everybody we put up, and they're investing their money in that reality. We're taking about 28 cents of every dollar, and we're paying a bunch of people who I'm not sure I know what they do, uh, but they're obviously not very good at it because we don't win as many elections as we should. Well, you know, I was sitting there between clients listening to that guy yesterday, supposed to be the head of the Republican Party, and I remember you asking him, because I don't believe that Joe Biden is going to be the next president. I don't necessarily believe Donald Trump will be either. But what I but I don't believe that the Republican Party has any idea in the world what they're I don't think they have any plan. Zero plan. And if they have any plan, they probably gave up a plan in collusion with the Democrats or whoever runs the Democrats and Republicans. But I don't believe they have any plan. I don't believe they have any plan at all. And I'll tell you what I do believe, though, and I was telling some of these younger boys, I said, dog, I said younger boys, guys in their 30s, I said, y'all have already forgot about um, Antifa and BLM guys beating people up on the streets. Y'all have already forgot about the BLM people walking into restaurants and making white people deal in front of them forgiveness. I said, if you don't think in the next two years, if anybody puts up any kind of a fight against this cathedral, or I don't know what else to call it, there will be violence, and there will be violence here in America. And if you don't think that we don't have, they probably have an army right now of, I would say, at least 50,000 or more people that hate this country that are probably in collusion with our rest of our enemies. I said, well, you better be working out right now. You better be hitting your heavy bag. Because all those Facebook badasses, all these people that call in the radio talking about fighting, all those people that send me whatever kind of message you get on that clicker on your phone, are you ready for the, You ready to fight, Breeze? They have never fought a day in their life, never even been in a fight on a playground, never been hit with a Q-tip. I got a bad feeling, Q. 
Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll spend some time this weekend finding out who the biggest winners are in the conservative ink sweepstakes. I mean, I can find that out. I mean, I know how to look at open secrets and see where some of the contributions went, some of the donations, some of the, uh, I mean, some of the 501c3 stuff is hard to find. Uh, it's hard to really understand exactly where the Koch brothers money went or where the Soros money um, went, but some of these large donations, I'll give you an example uh, real quick. During the break, I looked this up. There's a, there's a group called Principles First. Uh, sounds honorable, right? Principles First. Yeah. I have no idea how much money they get from Conservative Inc. And I'm making that up. I mean, there's not actually, I mean, not, there probably is an LLC somewhere named Conservative Inc., but I'm just using that as a catch-all. Conservative Inc., uh, that's Principles First, is a part of Conservative Inc. I just happened to looking, uh, look on their Twitter page. Um, Principles First would, would argue that they're advancing the conservative cause. I mean, they're essential. You got to have us here, man. We got 75 years of experience. In, in Republican politics, we understand uh, the way Washington works. Uh, you know, we got these lawyers who graduated from George Washington. We got this consultant that graduated from, from Yale and Princeton. We got three guys whose father gave, you know, $20 million to Harvard back in the day. And, and, and really and truly, the majority of these consultants, I mean, I'm convinced of this. The majority of these consultants come from wealthy families, and the wealthy family sends them to Washington to get them the hell away from the family. They're a little bit incompetent. They're full of themselves. Um, they're, they're not very good at much of anything. But the one thing you can survive in politics, guys, it's abstract. I mean, we will know tomorrow at 4 o'clock whether the Gamecocks beat Vanderbilt and the Tigers beat Georgia Tech. I mean, we'll know that. The scoreboard says. Now, now there'll be a carload of Gamecocks or Tigers going home and say, I hadn't fumbled them two balls and I hadn't thrown that interception. I hadn't gotten that holding penalty. Well, I mean, welcome to the real world. I mean, every game is going to have some degree of that. But, but politics is very abstract. It's squishy. Well, you heard Drew yesterday. Drew McKissick knows what he's talking about. Drew McKissick offered up about six or eight reasons what happened. Robert Cayley offered one. The RNC doesn't know how to win elections. I mean, Cayley said it just as cleanly. Or clear. We're having fancy debates and spending all this money, flying all these consultants in. Who do you think was on the front ten rows of the debate? I mean, it wasn't America first rank and file voters. I mean, it wasn't Joe Sixpack welding a truck bed together in Pamplico. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. It was some big donor. And, and principles first. Here, here's an example. Principles first is a part of America, excuse me, a part of Conservative Inc. Here's their seven-hour-ago tweet. You ready? Principles first alert. And they've got a picture of John Fetterman in a hoodie waving a miniature Israeli flag. And here's their tweet. At John Fetterman takes a stand and waves an Israeli flag in front of anti-Israel protesters near the Capitol. Thank you, Senator. But I've got no idea how much money Principles First gets. But that's money that we could be spending trying to beat Democrats and trying to convince Americans that our our positions, our our platform, our agenda, where we stand is, is, is better for America than where the Democrats stand, but instead, principles first, because they're normally lazy, they're educated, but normally not real smart. And I'm convinced the majority of these people who work in D.C. come from affluent families, and the affluent family makes a calculus and says, I'd rather send Ken to Washington and let him hang on to politics than I had him being in the family business. I think the family business can afford 
to send him off more that can afford to, to kind of integrate him in the process. I'm not saying everybody's lazy and everybody's dumb, but nobody's as hard a worker as they say they are, and nobody is as smart as that. And Kahaley's willing to say that. Now, Kahaley's not ingratiating himself with the RNC. Robert would be a bit of an outlier. I mean, he's, he's not on their good list and in good standing with Conservative Inc. because he says things that, that kind of, you know, paint them in a, in a negative light. But we've got to get to work convincing Americans that what we believe in is better than what the other side believes in. But if we're spending 72 cents to convince them, the other side's spending 90 cents to convince them, they make a more convincing argument. I mean, it's we've we've admitted, I mean, I think Josh would agree, we've admitted we live in a entertainment era and age, right? I mean, yep. we said, who are the most two two recent presidents, Obama and Trump? I mean, forget Biden, he's not the president. But I mean, what, what is Obama? He was an entertainer. I mean, he was intriguing. What is Trump? He's an entertainer. He's intriguing. Um, they're both radical. One just knows and tries to be. The other's just by nature <laughs> radical in some of the things he says. Take a break. Back in a few. Takes Mondays to make Fridays 843-661-0937. They say it takes about an hour for the brain to fully wake up and be, um, you know, potentially reach its maximum abilities. Um I wake up earlier so that my brain will be somewhat aware of what's <laughs> happening around it at uh, at six o'clock in the morning. But I wanted to be fair to Josh. Um, I wanted Josh to have an hour <laughs> to kind of get his head awake and and, and get Uh-oh. the cobwebs out. Do you need more time, well, Josh? Well, I mean, Josh has taken, in my humble opinion, a pretty extreme position on abortion. Josh believes that if a woman is raped, it's still an, it's still a, a pregnancy. It's still human life. God created that human life, and that human life should be protected and preserved. I, I've told you, I agree that Josh has an honorable position, but it's tough politically. I think he's accepted that. It of is. all the things I've gathered from trying to discern what happened in Virginia and in Ohio, those two, um, those two places in particular, it seems to me, and I went back and looked at Michigan and Missouri and Kansas and some of the other places where abortion has been on the ballot, and I think Josh will agree with me. It seems to me that the majority of Americans, not Ken, Josh, and Dave, but the majority of Americans have accepted that a, a place America is that a woman should be allowed to have an abortion up until the point of fetal viability. And, and it looks to me like, from what I've read, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 23 weeks. I disagree with that. But that looks to me like where most Americans are when it comes to the politicking. And that's shallow, but that's where we are, the politicking of, of abortion. J.D. Vance said something yesterday that, that stirred me, and, and I have a lot of respect for Vance. J.D. Vance said that we've spent, conservatives, pro-lifers, we've spent the majority of our time on the legal argument, and we've not tried hard enough to defend the moral argument. And it is, I mean, Vance didn't say this. These are, this is kind of my interpretation of what Vance is saying. Vance is basically saying, because if you read the Ohio law, guys, I mean, I read it in its entirety. The Ohio law basically says, but I mean, here's its exact verbatim um, language. You ready? Parental to all, repro- excuse me, um, parental notification to all reproductive medical treatments. When, when I read that, I mean, I, I played politics. I've, writ stat- I mean, I've written statutes. I've had staff. 
um, put confusing language in there so somebody can't exactly understand what it means. Parental notification to all reproductive medical treatments. That's not just abortion. They're going to argue that the vagina, the penis, I mean, that's reproductive medical treatment, sex change, you know, kids. So, so what Ohio agreed to, they may not know this because I think the people of Ohio are good and decent. I think they're not informed, but I think they're good and decent, and they bought some of these ads that, that were run, you know, in support of uh, question one, the ballot initiative to change the law from, to change the Ohio Constitution from a woman not having a right to have an abortion to a woman having a right uh, at an abortion. But, but as part of that law, parental notification to all reproductive medical treatments. Ohio agreed that a 12-year-old can have a sex change operation without their parent knowing about it. Now, if you went and talked to uh, voters in Ohio, they know I didn't. I mean, that's not what that ad on television said. I mean, that radio ad that ran, you know, every 20 minutes, that's not what it said. It said the Republicans were trying to stop women from ever being allowed to have an abortion. Maybe. Maybe there's some abortion. I mean, maybe there's some Republicans that are trying that. Um, but but the, the Ohio law clearly says its language is specific, parental notification to all reproductive medical treatments. As somebody who has written a statute, as somebody who has drafted legislation, as somebody who has tried to confuse as to exactly what we meant when we wrote this down. See, that's kind of the danger that, that I, I guess, bring about to the, to the debate. I've done some of this. I'm willing to admit I've tried to confuse in, in the process of trying to make, trying to make the sausage. But, but Ohio now, at some point in time in the not-too-distant future, it's rare. I mean, it's rare. It doesn't happen a lot. I mean, Mika Brzezinski went on a rail against Chris Christie because only 1.5% of abortions are in the third trimester. It's still 1.5%. I mean, it's still the law. It doesn't matter how many do this. The law in Ohio says that a parent does not have to be notified if a 12-year-old kid wants to have a sex change operation. I mean, that, that is going to be in the purview of reproductive medical treatments. Trust me. That's what the, I'll, I'll go to break here. That's what the godless, I didn't say every Democrat was godless, but whoever believes that's okay, that's godless. I mean, that's godless. If you believe a 12-year-old, I mean, that makes me angry. I mean, if you believe a 12-year-old should be allowed to have a sex change operation and not notify their parents, you are a godless and dangerous person to be allowed anywhere near lawmaking or, or the realm of politics. But that's what Ohio voted on. So, so I want to go down the road, Josh, kind of teed up yesterday. And I'm going to give him more credit than I gave him a couple of days ago. Vance says, we've not spent enough time on the moral argument. We spent more time on the legal argument. We have, in Virginia, 15 weeks, we were told was reasonable. Compromise. 15 weeks lost in Virginia. 15 weeks didn't carry the day in Virginia. The Democrats said 15 weeks is not enough. Fetal viability third trimester, whatever um, they say. And here's the point I'm trying to make, guys. And these are my words, and I want to get Josh to chime in because I want to give him some credit. How do we convince America that we have any morality if we say one second life begins at conception, but at 105 days, we're willing to kill that baby? We, 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 we believe, I mean, every candidate on that stage in the Republican primary said I believe life begins at conception, but how moral is that? How moral is it to say that I believe life begins at conception, but I'm a politician and I'm trying to get votes. 
And for the Republican Party to win, we kind of got to find some space between 15 and 22 weeks that we find okay to end pregnancies and, and to kill babies. And the point I'm trying to make is this, guys. Why not fight extremism with extremism? Why not make that the debate? The debate's not between 15 and 22 weeks. Josh has an extreme position on abortion. It's not going to win in politics. But why not start there and force the Democrats to say loudly and proudly they support an abortion up until the day it's born? What is a more extreme position? To make a woman have a debate, to make a woman carry a baby to term who has been raped, or to kill a baby the day before it's to be born. Why not make that the debate? I mean, I don't know how you do that. I'm not king of the world. Josh wants a king. I don't. Um, <laughs> as long but, as it's me. Well, I mean, okay. Or me. Um, and I could live with you being king because I know you, and I think I could twist you and turn you a little bit there to, to, get, my, to get my road fixed. Really? <laughs> to get my road fixed or get my daughter-in-law, whatever, whatever I need from, from a king. And um, but, but you see where I'm headed. Vance's words wrong to me. I mean, they really did. We spent a lot of energy on the legal argument. Overturning Roe v. Wade created a conundrum, and we're trying to figure out where we where we need to be. But we're, we're, we're and I'm guilty of this. I mean, this is self-incriminating. I'm the guy that says, I believe life begins at conception, but somewhere around 15 weeks, somewhere around six weeks, I mean, it's an arbitrary number. And, and that, to me, that's it's morally inconsistent. It's politically viable. It's politically feasible. But, but doesn't it take their position out of the equation? What if we went into the debate and held a position similar to Josh's? I probably wouldn't be as extreme as Josh. But what if we said no abortions under any circumstance unless it's rape, incest, life of the mother? What if that's where we started? And we asked the Democrats, okay, where do you stand? And make them divulge where they stand. Because the Democrats don't want limitations on abortions. They may say they do. They may talk about the rarity of one happening in the third trimester. But, but the reality is in the Ohio law, they're going to allow the Democrats' ACLU drafted the law. Planned Parenthood had a heavy hand in this. It says that parents are not to be notified if a 12-year-old kid, those are my words, well, I'll read it verbatim, parental notification, all reproductive medical treatments. I mean, that's in the bill. That means that a 12-year-old girl or a boy who believes they were born of the wrong sex don't have to tell their parents that they're heading off to the doctor to have their sex changed. That's evil. That's wicked. That's godlessness. So let's force them to defend godlessness. Let's force them to do that. And we can't force the debate about morality because we're so inconsistent. And I'm including myself. I'm captain of that team. I'm the guy that says life begins at conception, but I want to win elections. And by my winning elections means that somewhere between 6 and 22 weeks, you got to let a woman have an abortion. And I accept the body politic. I do. I just think there's a political win here. I'm not where Josh is. I can't get myself to a place that I believe a woman who's been raped or in an incestuous relationship or her life is in danger, I can't get there. I just can't. But, but how, do I, how do I say that I have a moral position when my position includes life begins at conception, but a woman should be allowed to have an abortion up until 
15 weeks in Kentucky, you know, uh, six weeks in South Carolina, 22 weeks in, in, in New Jersey. We, we got to force the Democrats to reveal themselves and where they stand. And, and, and Jeff said yesterday, uh, and, I, and I believe Jeff, I mean, I the day before you, but yesterday, the day before, he doesn't celebrate abortions. I mean, I, I think Jeff's sincere when he says that. I don't think Jeff celebrates and, and, and kind of, you know, cheers to the woman who just had the next abortion or the last abortion. But, but, but J.D. Vance's words matter to me. I have a lot of respect for Vance. Rev knows that. I mean, I think sure. he's one of the great thinkers of the next Republican Party. Whatever iteration comes after, after Trump, I think Vance is going to be a critical part of this because I think he's a very serious man. I mean, he's not always been this. I understand the inconsistencies. Guess what? You know, we all do that. We evolve. We grow up. We change. We mature. Uh, be smart enough to change your mind is what I've always been told. I believed one thing until it was shown to me that that's probably not the right thing to believe. And you kind of, you move around a little bit. You change your mind. There's no harm in that. I mean, I think it's a little bit scientific. I mean, it's science, science kind of the pursuit of the truth. And we're always looking for the truth. We found out things about the, you know, the galaxy we didn't know last year. We'll find out more things next year that we didn't know um, this year. So it's kind of a, a kind of a moving target. But, but I, I just think we've got to force the Democrats to defend their morality on this issue. And it's hard to force the Democrats to defend their morality when we're a bit inconsistent in our own. Does that make sense, Josh? Oh, yeah. And, and I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not where you are. I mean, I make that clearly. I'm not where you are. But your comments and J.D. Vance's words, it, 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 it kind of, it, 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 I don't say it opened my eyes because I've always known I'm inconsistent. And I guess being in politics, we're a bit pretzely anyway. <laughs> pretzely. <Yeah. laughs> well, I mean, I'm just being honest. You know, you well, you said this a couple of minutes yeah. ago, and now you're saying you're saying this over. I, I want to continue. I know we got to take a break. Um, do we have a call? Okay, let's go to the phone. Then we'll take a break, Josh. And I know we got Russell Fry that'll call in just a couple of minutes. Russell's good on time. We have Sam and Darlington. Hello, Sam. Morning, guys. Uh, well, you're you're ringing a, a bell. I'm I'm a very amateur theologian and and one thing i have been reading about over the last several years and uh and i'm convinced of this that god's law i mean actually the the law of moses does not require human agencies to enforce everything all the for example um the the law says if if you kill somebody you know if you shed the blood of man by man your blood should be shed but when you get into the weeds of it, uh, there's all kind of evidence, rules, and things like that. And so uh, a guilty murderer can go free under the law of God. Um, and, you know, the things like the tithe is, is very uh, important, but there's no provision in the law of Moses for enforcing the tithe. That's between you and God and the murderer that goes free because of uh, procedural and and evidence rules. Uh, he's he's still got to face God, but I mean, you know, as far as I think the general principle is that God limits human enforcement of of moral laws, and the reason is um, I think is we, we human beings are human beings. They're not they're not all wise, and they. And so God puts limits on that. And, and I, I think what I'm trying to get at is it dawned on me that 
the anti-abortion movement does not have to, at least as far as God's concerned, does not have to insist that the state, you know, and the sheriff's department try to prevent every single last unjust abortion, you know, down to the moment of conception. You know, it, it, that is not religiously required of us. Uh, that's my two cents. Thank you, Sam. That is a bit of a, um, a theology lesson there. Um, kind of an interesting, the Sam admitted self-taught. I would agree. The majority of my life is self-taught. I've never had any formal training in anything but building truck beds. Um, <laughs> take a break. Uh, back in a few minutes. Four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Whether you spell it F R I D A Y or F R Y D A Y, today is one of those F R Y D A Y Fridays. Congressman Russell Fry is joining us this morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Ken. I'm doing uh, excellent. Uh, uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, good to have you on. Um, I want to discuss a couple of things with you that happened. Uh, one has already happened. The other is going to happen. The Oversight Committee has subpoenaed members of the Biden family. I would call it the Capone family, but let's say the, <laughs> the, the Biden family, their, their associates. Russell, will that be public or will that be kind of a, a behind-the-scenes hearing? Well, the way that these work is that they will be transcribed interviews or depositions depending on the family. Uh, member. Uh, and so those will be kind of behind the scenes. But the way those work is, 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 is very similar to a deposition in a uh, court setting where the lawyers ask the questions. Um, members of the committee, uh, both uh, minority members and members of the majority, are free uh, to ask those questions as well. But the way that it typically works is that when you go in, the majority gets an hour, so the Republicans get the first hour, Democrats get to second and you go on and on and on until, um, you know, until you're, you're done. So you can go several rounds uh, that way, but that's typically how it works. What sorts of things is Congressman Russell Fry trying to find out when he has an audience with the Bidens? Well, I think I mean, there's a lot of questions there, right? So, uh, but I think this, the themes are what services did you provide? What were, was promised? How much were you compensated what was the, the, the arrangement between other members of the Biden family? How uh, involved was Joe Biden? I think this goes to the heart of the matter, you know, um, is how involved was Joe Biden? Uh, and then from there, you know, what sorts of things might be promised or were maybe uh, wink, wink, nod, nod, um, were going to happen as a result of the involvement of Joe Biden? I think that kind of gets to the heart of, you know, the House is chasing uh, is doing an impeachment inquiry. So it's our role to make sure that we cross those T's, we dot those I's, we get the information, um, you know, what, what Hunter was selling and how complicit the Biden family was, I think is, is really uh, in, very important to them. Yeah, how now you fellas get so rich is kind of what we want to know. Um, <laughs> what sorts yeah. of things were you doing to, uh, to buy a home formerly owned by the DuPonts and beach houses and all these other um, sorts of things? Um, that is to come. What has already happened is David Weiss. I mean, that, that was a transcribed interview, right, with the Judiciary Committee. Right. Um, c can you brief us or inform us about what happened there? Yeah, he, he didn't give a lot, right? And, and you wouldn't expect him to. Uh, his role, uh, because he is special counsel, the way that the law works typically on that is special counsel has all the authority to do X, Y, and Z. But what a requirement of special counsel, you saw this with John Durham, who was actually kind of on our side, um, but John Durham released a report in the end, very detailed report, 300-page report, 
you know, about the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. Um, and so here, um, he is going to do the same. So what the biggest takeaway that I got in that transcribed interview was that special uh, or the U.S. Attorney David Weiss had requested special attorney status in the spring of 2022. Now, this investigation has been going on for a very long time. Uh, he was not granted special counsel authority until August of this year. So you had about a year and three or four months where he didn't. He had assurances theoretically from Maine DOJ, Washington DOJ, but did not actually get special counsel authority to bring charges until later. And this, unfortunately, this is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why the statute of limitations in my mind ran on several tax years related to uh, Hunter Biden's barisma conduct. I think that's, you know, reprehensible. Look, at the end of the day, prosecutors have a lot of discretion on any number of cases that they handle. Uh, but this seems particularly where the investigators, the IRS whistleblower investigators saying, we have agreement between the tax division and ourselves and the FBI and even DOJ officials within your office that we need to charge him for 2014, 15, 16, 17, I think all the way through 19, maybe. And that was not done, and the statute ran. So that the biggest takeaway for me was th that component where he had requested or wanted special attorney status in 2022, in the spring of it, and wasn't given counsel authority until 2023. Congressman, last subject I want to touch on with you is the, the mine in your worldview, the conservative right of center worldview is not very popular on college campuses around America today. Um, is the Judiciary Committee going to have a hearing uh, relating to free speech on college campuses? And what do you hope to accomplish if indeed that transpires? Oh, we did. Uh, we did have a hearing on Thursday, and I think it's the first high hope of many. Um, uh, but the, the, the central component was that many students feel the pressure of an administration of a very liberal leftist leaning administration when they speak. And at some points they often, and they testified to this at the hearing, you know, they feel the pressure to not say anything at all. Um, and, and because of that, you're kind of silencing speech by default, uh, because of the criticism that you might undergo. And so it really is kind of a dark time on, on college campuses. I mean, these are very liberal, I say classical liberal institutions where you should have these open exchange of ideas that people are still learning about who they are and kind of what they believe. And so you sharpen, you know, you, you have these free speech zones basically naturally where you could do these things and you could talk about issues and there's no fear of retribution. You're kind of fleshing out ideas. That's good for the citizenry. I mean, that, at the end of the day, that's good for the republic. Uh, but today's college campuses, it's not that. It's, it's, it's free speech for some and unfettered free speech, including violence uh, for some. But if you even bring a conservative on campus or you have a maybe a dissenting view from some of your liberal professors, you're silenced, you're canceled, you're criticized, you're ostracized. These are it's, it's a very dark time. And we're seeing it now, particularly uh, to, in, today. Um, with some of the anti-Semitism that's going on where Jewish students can't even leave, physically leave a library because you've got pro-Hamas mobs outside that are trying to, you know, assault them, basically. It's, it's, it's a very dangerous time to be uh, on a college campus.
Before I let you get out of here, you're publicly on Team Trump. You make no bones about that. Um, there was a debate this week that involved, uh, I guess, the four leading contenders or five leading contenders trying to dethrone Trump from this spot at the top of the of the GOP. How do you see the primary today? I mean, anything can happen. You don't have a, a crystal ball. I don't have a crystal ball. But but as we sit today, how do you see the Republican primary? Well, I see it. You know, there's a lot of candidates, right? And I look at kind of lanes that each candidate occupies. I just don't see a scenario where, um, you know, the kind of the America first wing of the Republican Party loses. And I think that that, you know, even if candidates drop out and coalesce, there are people who will back the president. Nothing has changed in months. And, you know, all the money that has been spent, I mean, we all remember, you know, the, the, the mailers that have gone out already, dozens of them, huge mailers and text messages. I'm sure your listeners get them too, trying to kind of have a, a sway on the race or get people to think about the race, maybe in the prism of a different candidate. And none of it has worked. And, and that's not just here in South Carolina. It seems to be everywhere. One of the biggest arguments that, that um, I would say the uh, people who are not Trump or not for Trump, one of the big, biggest arguments that they articulated was that Trump could not win a general election. And CBS had a poll last week with the New York Times that showed Trump doing very well against Biden in six, five of the six swing states. There was a, an Emerson morning consult poll yesterday that showed the same thing. So I think a lot of the arguments um, that, that people raised for not being for Trump um, have kind of subsided because they just don't add up. I mean, Trump's doing quite well against Biden, um, not only head-to-head in national polls, but in swing state polls where the Electoral College really matters. But, but Russell, surely it's got to be a concern. I mean, you and I have spoken about this off the air. It's got to be a concern right. that the days he's not campaigning because he's in a courtroom could eventually lead to some some struggles and troubles. Um, I mean, that, that's the concern I have, um, him not being as available for campaigning as he probably needs to be because he's so uh, tied up in court in so many damn places that don't make much sense at all. Well, possibly. But, you know, look, I mean, uh, you know, Joe Biden ran a presidential campaign from his basement. And so, you know, I mean, Trump runs rough on courtroom. eh? (laughs) Right. So, you know, with with this, what, you know, Trump's been in court on this ridiculous civil trial uh, up in New York for, I don't know, maybe a month, you know, three weeks, something like that. Uh, And it hasn't really had an effect. In fact, I think it's it's metastasized his support and grown it. Uh, the, you know, the more that the more that people use the legal system to target, you know, a president, a leading opposition campaign, I think it really, you know, I think it's really kind of backfiring politically, uh, not only on the left, but on on members of of you know Trump's own party who are running against him. I mean, they they have not found any oxygen uh, to to really you know, launch a competitive primary against Donald Trump. And, and I, I just don't see that changing. I think, I think, you know, if the election were tomorrow, we would save ourselves a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of money. And I think the time has come that, that campaigns really need to take a hard look. Are we going to keep dumping money uh, against the guy that most people want, or are we going to consolidate and focus on winning against Democrats in November of 2024? That's a legitimate question, and I hope you know um, 
you know, I hope that, that people come to their senses because there's just, there just doesn't seem to be a lane and nothing has changed uh, in the primary field in, you know, a year at this point. Russell, thank you for your time, my man. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you all. Have a good weekend. And, and thank you to all the veterans for, for what you do today, but every day. Um, really appreciate the work that you have done for this country. Well said. Thank you, my friend. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Okay, Josh, I gave my pretzely comments. <laughs> you pretzely. And yep. what Josh says, a word is a word if people understand what you were trying mm-hmm. to imply. That's right. And I think people totally understand the pretzely nature of um of you find yourself in politics. And then we had Russell called in and we needed to the congressman be respectful of his time. But but your your follow-up comments are. I mean when I, when JD Vance says we have done the majority of our work trying to defend and make a legal argument. We're not talking about the morality of it. And if we talk about the morality, we force the others. Maybe the I mean the the the, the wondrous part of this comment or this debate is will the media allow it to happen? I mean, will the monolithic media allow Republicans who have, uh, I don't think life beginning at conception is an extreme view. Right. I, I think life beginning at conception combined with forcing a woman who's been raped to have a kid, that that's to me an extreme view. And I think you accept that's a bit of an extreme view, Josh, but, but let's, let's center our debate on life begins at conception. That's where Republicans stand. And, and where do the Democrats stand? They, they believe that you should not oppose abortion under any circumstance. And if the media were to allow that debate to take place, I think what Vance is trying to imply, if the majority of voters in Ohio were, were told, hey, before you vote for this, understand that a 12-year-old does not have to notify their parents if they want to have reproductive medical treatments. Well, I mean, that's sex change. I mean, you can read that however you choose to read it. But, but that's exactly what, what they're saying. What do the voters of Ohio say? Now, once again, to Josh's previous point, the, the Seinfeld watcher. I mean, you know, they're, they're turning away from – they're riding down the road listening to a radio ad. Uh, the radio ad says, you know, uh, those, those, those extreme Republicans want to make women never be allowed to have an abortion. I mean, they, they, you know, a woman that gets raped has to carry that baby to term. A woman in an incestuous relationship has to carry that baby to term. Um, I, I just think J.D. Vance may be onto something. And, and as I began to kind of reflect on what I said the course of this week, because I don't deny what I said, and I'll stand by the majority of what I said. In the political realm, we don't have a king. I mean, one guy doesn't decide, one lady doesn't get to decide when or when a woman cannot have an abortion. That is a political issue in America today. And the majority of Americans believe that up until fetal viability, a woman should be allowed to have an abortion. But the debate has been skewed or manipulated or distorted by Republicans saying over and over again, including yours truly, that life begins at conception, but I can live with six weeks. I can live with eight weeks. I may have to live with 15 weeks. How morally inconsistent is that? Right. So it, It's almost like the Seinfeld watcher says, well, you really don't believe in much of anything. I mean, if you believe life begins at conception, but you're willing to play politics and say, yeah, but I mean, at 105 days. I mean, is the moral side of the argument even included in most of the debates? Well, I, no, but that's Vance's point. Right. Let's force the debate to be about morality. And, it, and if Josh has an extreme view, there's an equally extreme view on the other side. And I would argue there is an official and party-endorsed extreme view. 
Name a Republican. We talked about Muslims not condemning terrorism. Name a Democrat who is on the record said they support some restrictions on abortion. I mean, I, I can't find one because I think you fall out of favor with one of the major political parties. What do you want to say, Josh? I want to say that, like, you know, we've been talking about this for a few days now, and I want to clarify that I understand being pragmatic. I'm coming at this from the perspective of a radio, a guy on the radio who can talk and, and share their opinion. I'm not running for office. If I were, I would be behaving a lot differently because I believe that Donald Trump is against abortion. And I believe a lot of the Republican candidates who debated the other night are against abortion as well. But they can't say that because they're running for office. And the majority of Americans uh, or moderates, so to speak, are in favor. They, they've taken to the side of it's a woman's autonomy issue. It's a woman's choice issue, not that it's a pro-life issue. So I have the tendency when we argue these things to kind of zoom out a little too much. And, and I believe that the problems are... Uh, you know, they're more systemic, they're more integral than just abortion or not, because that's a societal issue. The fact that, like, the majority of Americans believe that is not a it, an issue of government. It's an issue of morality and society. So I get wanting to do that. If I were running for office, I would say, look, I'm against abortion. I believe that that uh, I'm I'm pro-life. I believe at the moment of conception, that is when a when a new life has been created but I'm running for office and and I can't I can only do so much. And that's what I like about Trump is cuz he says that. He goes like just don't ask me about it because I have my beliefs, but I can't I can't I can only do so much. So just don't ask. All the I'm tired of the politicians and like some of the callers who are like, "Well, I'm for abortion because it's freedom." I hate that kind of talk. That's what I was speaking out against the other day. Fair enough. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Kevin in Florence. Good morning. You are on the air. Good morning. First of all, I want to say happy Veteran Day to all my brothers and sisters out there still on the battlefield and uh, all the ones that served previously. I do thank you. Well, I want to piggyback again on the morality issue that you're saying. Well, you were talking about rape and incest, in which uh, I don't distinguish the, the two hardly uh, separate anyway, because if you got incest, usually it's a, it's a rape issue. But why are why is the baby, the innocent baby, sentence the heart harsher than the the one that's committing rape where you're willing to um commit murder kill the baby versus the one who rapes may get 10 or 15 years in prison so why if if if, if uh, the baby's innocent in all this why is his uh sentence harsher than the one that's uh raping and and I'll I'll take a rest of it off there. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate that. That's an interesting opinion. Part of the debate. Um, it, it leads in a lot of different and crazy places. I just think that, and I and I agree with Vance. We have been consumed by the legal argument. What best legal argument? Because politics is law. I mean, we're making laws. Let's do this, Josh. Let's take a break. I know you got to get the phone phones lighting up. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. We don't have a call, do we? Okay, let's yeah, go to the phone. We got we got the delegation here, the delegation hour. We got a sponsor of our delegation hour, and it ain't the John Fetterman Hoodie Company. 
They sponsor the delegation hour that comes on from 1 in the morning to 2 in the morning on 95.3. Right, Rev? Uh, that's right. From 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. <laughs> if you want to listen to the delegation hour brought to you by the John Fetterman Hoodie Company, uh, that's the case. Um, live liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Uh, you know, it's unfair to Bert. See, this is where I have such an advantage. I always get the last word. You know what I mean? When the yeah. caller hangs up, he's done. I mean, he better have said all he can say because I get host the last privilege. word. Well, I mean, I just, Bert's insinuating that Jefferson meant adult life, registered voters, white males, black females. No, I mean, life is life. And the debate about abortion is when does life begin? And I've accepted, and, 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 and Alec and I have debated about, you know, Life Josh. and fetal. I mean, Josh. Who? I'm sorry. Alec Walt was just in here. <laughs> I know. I, I remember Alec Walt. Uh, he he preceded Josh and Cato, right? Yep. I mean, it was um. Walk me through who we've had doing the job that he does. <laughs> well, we've had no one does the job. Well, I mean, see, you're I, right. There you go. I'm glad you said yeah. that because <laughs> that's right. He left you the opportunity. You did. Um. So our first producer was Whitney, mm-hmm. and then Alec Walt, mm-hmm. and then uh, Cato. Cunto. And then Freehold, Yano, yeah, and now Josh. You're right. That's it. So, so I was missing one <laughs> along the way. Alec was number two. Yes. Okay. Good deal. Good deal. But, but, um, but Bert's talking about life, and and th- there's a debate. And I'll get with uh, Philip Lowe and Jay Jordan here, both representatives and member of the General Assembly. Rick and Boss not here, right? I mean, he sent us a text saying he's out of town. Right. Um, but but we'll, we'll get to this, and just because I want to get you guys in trouble in just a few moments. <laughs> But, you know, I've, I've tried to understand the pursuit of happiness part is pretty easy. You can go back and read John Locke. And Locke talked a lot about the pursuit of happiness. And you, you, you want me to be smart boys from Pamplico for a mm-hmm. second? Locke went back to Aristotle. So it, it, the, the concept of pursuit of happiness precedes the age of enlightenment. Locke would have been one of the great philosophers of the era of enlightenment. But, but, but Aristotle talked about the pursuit of happiness being a human trait or characteristics. So you could easily argue that Locke plagiarized Aristotle and Jefferson plagiarized Locke. The, the life part of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, I'm going to have to do some digging and see who plagiarized who when, when it comes to that. But I want to get to abortion here in a second with these two guys about the state of South Carolina in relation to the rest of the rest of America. Somebody's on the phone. Let's go there. Earl in Bennettsville. Hi, you're on the air. Good morning. I keep hearing these liberals crying women's rights, women's rights, women's reproductive rights. You know, killing a baby is killing a baby. I don't care what you call it. You can call it abortion if you want to. You can call it termination of a pregnancy if you want to, but it's still killing a living human being. Now, if these women and men get in heat, because that's what happens, there are too many ways to avoid a pregnancy that are readily available and free. So don't tell me that, oh, I got pregnant by mistake. No, you didn't get pregnant by mistake. You got pregnant because you got in heat and didn't take time to avoid a pregnancy. That's your problem. And isn't it too bad that the ones who argue for abortion were never aborted themselves? What if the the shoe was on the other foot? 
Thank you for your time, all you veterans. I certainly appreciate what you've done and continue to do. If it wasn't for the veterans, we'd be speaking Japanese or German today. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thanks, sir. Appreciate that. And I concur on the support of our veterans. There's a ceremony tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's an event That's tomorrow right. at 11 o'clock at the Veterans Park that Barry Wingard is going to be a big part of. We've heard that if the weather doesn't cooperate, they're going to move it inside. So there may be um, – you're going to the football game? In, in the Florence Center, yeah. I'm, I'm going to the – Vanderbilt, noon kick, rain. Mm. Okay, have fun. And, and have kind fun. of cool. Have fun, Rick. Have fun. Okay, <laughs> Jay Jordan, Philip Lowe, both are members of the General Assembly. Where are we today? What What is the official position of the South Carolina General Assembly when it comes to abortion? Philip, I'll start with you if you don't mind. Well, you know, it's uh, six weeks. Uh, we've got the exceptions in there, and uh, it's, you know, for a conservative state, that's probably the place to land. I mean, there, once you get into when does life begins, obviously uh, it's conception to me, and anything after that is is wrong, I'm sure, in the eyes of God, and really should be in the eyes of man, really. Just we should all be protecting lives. That's, that's part of, of I, I think, once you just lose control of, of where you think what's important in life. Life's got to be about the most important thing you can think of. But, um, you know, there's a political side, and we knew this going into this. We've, you've got your moral side, you've got your political side, and, and where is it in South Carolina? Well, that depends where you live in South Carolina because your constituents are different, and you represent constituents. So if you are right in the back of Bob Jones University or if you're in the heart of, uh, say, Charleston, there's a world of difference in even your Republican voters. Then it depends, is it a Republican primary a guy's running in because he's protecting himself potentially from someone who's coming in, of course, from his same party? Or are you in a general election? Is it a statewide election or is it a federal election? All those things matter in the political side of the equation. But I'll say this simply. If you've had, quote, a right, a right to do anything in in this world for 50 straight years there's going to be pushback if you change that right if you remove it especially and you know we're in the throes of that right now and and we have to have females vote with republicans to win national elections so it's a dilemma it's a political dilemma it's not a moral dilemma for me because i know where my heart is but there is a political side of it and what am i supposed to do represent my people in Florence, South Carolina. So I pretty well know six weeks has been okay with them. It's, it's a number that we've landed on that feels okay to my general, especially Republican voters. Jay, is it intellectually inconsistent to say life begins a conception but adopt a law that allows a woman to have an abortion up until six weeks? Philip explained it perfect. I mean, there's a moral here, that there's a morality issue. You, you look yourself in the mirror. Philip does, you do, I do. Am, am I doing the moral and just thing? And then you put that black suit on and that red tie and you go to Columbia or you go to Washington and you become part of making laws. And that requires pragmatism and compromise. But is it intellectually inconsistent to say life begins conception and vote for a bill that allows a woman to have an abortion up until six weeks? Maybe. (laughs) I think that's the most honest answer you can give. No, I think you have to go back and look at how we got to this point. I mean, Philip's been in the House longer than I, but I can't recall a year in which we didn't have 
uh, an abortion bill of some sort leading up to the Supreme Court reversing Roe v. Wade um, and, and did not spend hours and hours and hours of debate on the issue. I can remember going back five, six years, I guess, um, my wife came up. Uh, it was our 15th. Philip remembers this is our 15th wedding anniversary. And uh, I thought, I'd, you know, it's one of those days, thought you'd be done by five or six. Let's go have an anniversary dinner. Next thing you know, you're, you're eating takeout on the, the back steps of the state house because we're debating abortion until one o'clock in the morning. So this issue um, is, is one that we have um, been wrapped around, I guess, for years and years and years in some point or fashion. I bring that up to say, um, in dealing with the question of consistency, it, it really becomes a question of what you can get past. You know, um, I'll quote Greg Delaney, who was the chairman of judiciary when I got to the House. This isn't a, a debate society. What matters in this is can we can you pass or or kill legislation? That's what it comes down to. And so, you know, there are some include me in that process that um, there this 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 version we have. I'd like to see it be a little stronger, honestly. But if I can't get the votes, I'm not going to vote against what I can pass and leave us exposed as we were as a destination state for abortion and have our abortions being higher than than Georgia and North Carolina all around us because I can't get exactly what I'd like to see happen. Um, I'm going to take a, a good version if I can't get a great version. I'm not going to you know stomp my feet and, and shake my fist and say, well, we'll just have abortion on demand. So I don't know if it's a consistency issue as much as it is um, getting the best we can under the circumstances, because to Philip's point, there are, you know, 124 House members coming from all parts of the state debating the issue. And then you got to get it past 46 senators who have the filibuster opportunity for them to deal with. And then you got a governor. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a process. And I think you have to recognize we don't always get exactly what we want out of that process. Philip, you said something a second ago, and I, and I want to get your take on this and be as offensive as you choose to be. Uh, and I know you will. So, so the, and I know exactly what you, I ran statewide. So I understand things you say in Greenville, you don't say in Charleston, things you say in Charleston, you don't say in Greenville. You're not misleading anybody. You're just choosing to not talk about this issue at this part of the state. Cause it's just not politically viable. Do, do we have an idea where the South Carolina Democrats stand on abortion and part of this debate? I mean, you guys are super majority, right? I mean, so, so you, as long as the Charleston and Greenville Republican can come to some reasonable compromise, you can push legislation through the house do we know where the democrats stand in south carolina i've not heard a national democrat offer up any restriction to abortion can we paint the south carolina democrat with that broader brush well you know they've got their extremes too and a few of their extremes are actually in our camp they really are we've got some democrats that voted with us uh, on this abortion issue and and then you've got some that would have the allowance to, to go all the way to full term, you know, and, and it's their choice supposedly the the whole time. Um, you know, I think we're, we're arguing about something now that is happening less, a true doctor assisted abortion. It's about 40% now. The pill that they're taking up to 10 weeks is really what's going on. I mean, it, it doesn't require a procedure. It's, it's less invasive, of course, and also they're getting a pill that that terminates a, a pregnancy and it kills, murders, whatever you want to call it. it. It happens, and you're supposed to be able to use it up to about 10 weeks of pregnancy, and that's really where we're at. No matter what we do, 
We could we could make it so that all doctors have to go to jail if we catch them doing an abortion. People are still going to order that pill online. You know, somehow get get somebody to get them a script for it. They're going to have it. And they're going to do it. It's it's like telling people. You know, they're never going to take another sip of alcohol. It, it didn't turn out well when you do it. People get around it. And, and that's, I think, that's where, where we're probably headed is 80 or 90% of abortions will probably occur towards that 10-week period through appeal, even beyond what we're allowing legally in the state. And, and Jay, you and I and Philip, as candidates or former candidates, current candidates and office holders in your case, we've always been told, hey, stay away from those things that, that, that get you in trouble. Let's talk about taxes and let's talk about deregulation. Let's talk about the economy. Let's talk about crime. Um, but it's obvious to me we, we can't skate on this issue. Uh, but the national media is going to force, to Philip just said, for 50 years we had a law. We had a ruling by the Supreme Court. We don't have that anymore. So we're going to be forced to debate some of these issues. I understand that Republicans are probably better off talking about debt and, and, and crime and, you know, inflation. But the national media is going to force Republicans to have this conversation because they believe it's in the Democrats' best interest. The point I'm trying to make is we got to get more coherent. J.D. Vance said, and I read this yesterday, J.D. Vance says that we have done uh, far too much in the legal argument realm and not enough in the moral argument. It's a little bit like we're, we're being hypocritical. Philip just said, I know what I feel in my heart, and I know what I feel in my heart, and I know you well enough to know what you feel in your heart. But I can live with six weeks. That's why I you about intellectual, you know, inconsistent. I think we found ourselves in a place where we, we, we say one thing, but we sign up for another, and we're not messaging it. Could, could that be part of the problem, the fact that we're not – you're very comfortable in what you believe. Philip is very comfortable in what he believes. I'm very comfortable in what I believe. But I don't know that the, the candidates with an R beside their name have messaged as well as the Democrats have. That, that's probably fair. Um, I'll, I'll, you have to give credit to the Democrats. They have made the recent elections, I believe, about this issue. And kicked our butts. And they've used it as a weapon. Um, we saw it um, in a few areas, the, the kind of more populated areas across the state. We lo lost at least one, maybe two House Republicans um, in more populated areas, and it, it's connected to this issue. Um, so the the messaging isn't a part of it. I guess my question would be if you drill down to the root of that, that message is effective because someone believes that. So my, my fear is, at least in certain parts of the state and, and um, traditionally the more metropolitan parts of the state, more populated parts of the state, you're identifying people that believe a certain way and just wait and, and just bringing this issue to their attention. So is it, a, is it an issue of messaging in some places? Is it an issue of just getting the people to the polls who believe this issue is, is also part of it too. That's well explained. Josh, let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Hey, point of personal privilege. We got a call. We got two of our uh, house members here. Um, Butler's has been, Butler's fine menswear has been in business 30 years. Ne they're, they're, they're sponsoring our show next Wednesday. They're inviting people to join them at Butler's fine men's clothing as they celebrate their 30 year anniversary bourbon, mm. craft beer tasting, giveaways, refreshments, some secret uh, sales, but 30 years of local business and entrepreneurship being celebrated at Butler's Fine Menswear. And um, that's where 
that, that, that would be my haberdashery rev. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that would be where when, when I rolled with the big shots like Lowe and Jordan, that's where I went to get my, uh, my attire, my men's hardware. Is uh, somebody on the phone? Uh, nope, just dropped. Okay. I, I want to go back to last week, if you guys will allow. Um, there were two things that we discussed, Philip. Jay was not here. You were. There were two issues that we discussed, and I know you well enough to know that you'll follow up and do what you said you were going to do. One was the, the Youth Academy um, the situation with the uh, the funds that Dr. O'Malley believes have been misallocated, misspent, maybe um, maybe there's some worse issues than that. You pledged that you would try and find out a little more. Uh, what have you found out? I called uh, Director Keels. That's over SLED. As soon as I left, I'd say in 10 minutes, uh, I had him discussing this issue with me, and they now have opened an investigation on that and uh, and hopefully if there's something going on we can put an end to it there's no sense wasting public money like that jay you could have comment on that you weren't here last week but you know the situation wasn't here last week but did get several uh texts and emails um i, I too reached out spoke to the attorney general uh, as well as some folks in the solicitor's office and was assured that the uh the investigation is going to be thorough and is ongoing and we'll get to the bottom of it um in, in a short order and in typical fashion ongoing investigations we can't offer it's up that so much it's hard for so for them to comment on exactly what they're sure. doing because that potentially damages the investigation and prosecution if it does occur but but a lot of people were worried that this may get swept under the rug and become local politics 101 that's not the case and i've heard the same thing that you guys have heard i, I don't think that's anywhere close to the case probably won't happen as fast as people would like but there is an investigation um, ongoing that will eventually get to the bottom of what happened. Another issue I want to take up, and and Philip, I'll start with you and then go to Jay because you were here last week. The sheriff called in and was concerned about some of these tag readers. I met with the sheriff once this week and spoke with him twice. He's convinced me this is not about someone rolling through a stop sign in Pamplico and mailing a ticket in the mail, but rather some database that he needs access to to make sure these tags and vehicles that are affiliated or associated with crimes, or um, I mean, we can track those people better. Uh, what What is your follow up commentary to Chef Joy calls last week? Well, I, I talked to Chef Joy right after I got off the sled, and we talked about that incident with PYA first, and and then we got on the flock issue, which is those cameras. And uh, I have contacted Christy Hall; she's the director of SEDOT, Department of Transportation, and. Uh, she has ignored me so far on my voicemail, which got got a representative upset here. Yeah, that, that's so not I, smart. No, I followed up with an email. I, I'm just hoping her excuse is she was off work last week because well, by Monday, then going to get a little more aggressive. So I want to, I don't know why we would oppose that, but you're right. It, it's for the purpose of catching people who are riding by in a car that maybe was just stolen or they had committed a bank robbery or somebody got a tag and maybe stole a child or something. And the sooner we can catch that person, the better, but no, we've already had one incident where a town got a little silly and started writing tags based on your tag from I-95 for speeding. And we put an end to that. So Jake, same. Uh, it's, a, it's a vital tool for law enforcement when it, especially when it comes to, you know, things like kidnapping and, uh, trying to catch violent criminals that are that are on the run, um, so 100% for it in that respect. I get, I am too, like y'all have said, not for it when it comes to the purpose of you know sending out a, a ticket when you uh, if you 
you know, violate a stop sign or something like that. That gets real, you know, who was actually in the car, you know, a lot of times who the car is registered to is who's going to get the ticket. And a lot of times that's not the person in the car. So that could be a recipe for some, a lot of litigation for no good reason. And the, and the sheriff has made it clear that's not what he wants this this equipment for. We haven't had that specific discussion. We've talked about it. He hasn't said that, but I'd be shocked if he was if, if that was the case. If, if from what I you know, I've always had excellent dealings with the sheriff. He he and his team do a great job. They're about catching people that need to be caught. You you said something last week that I found interesting. Or excuse me, TJ said something. He actually announced his candidacy for reelection Wednesday. Uh on the show. Was it Wednesday? I get my days mixed up. Yeah. I think it was Wednesday when he came on and said that I think the community had written a letter, some community leaders trying to encourage him to seek re-election. He announced he was running for re-election on the show. He gave the three of you, and I'm talking about including Senator Rickenbach, gave you a, a personal shout-out about how supportive you've been of law enforcement. That's vague. Specifically, what did the General Assembly do to help the Sheriff's Department here in Florence County? You know, I believe four years in a row now we've gotten extra money because, you know, the Sheriff's Department is really a county-funded uh, entity. Or, or uh, I think the sheriff um, has reached out to us and said, you know, if y'all have any extra funds, we need this and that. And we've gone to him and asked him, what can we do to help you? Uh, and for four years, I mean, it's, it's probably $2.5 million probably in a four-year time period that – We've funded extra money to them to to get them safety equipment. Is where we kind of started after that shooting, you know, we had, and and uh, we wanted to make sure that that they had good vests and all, and they were most of that stuff was worn out, and and we just trying to reach out and help them all we can. It it's not necessarily a statewide duty, but you know, we when we get a little project money, we look at especially things like. Uh, uh, in law enforcement and and it's Rick and Ball too, and it's really our whole delegation. Sure. So and 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 Jay, that is a fundamental role of government. I mean, that's not government trying to get into in in places that it's not supposed to be. Absolutely. And when you talk about you know when Philip talks about br- trying to bring funds back to the area, you know ultimately that goes back to something we talked about earlier about convincing other people in Columbia, you know, in the House and the Senate that this is a a viable use of, of state dollars. Um, and I'll give a great amount of credit to the sheriff. It has been a tremendous two-way street. He has proved to be a wonderful resource. Um, you know, when he comes to us and asks for something, you know, he gives us the tools we need to go fully explain what we're looking for, why we need it, and why it's, you know, it's a good thing for our community. And then I'll, I'll give you another point, too. Um, I've seen that sort of blossom over the last couple of years, and I'm not giving Philip or I or anybody else on the delegation credit for that. But it's led to that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to go to my sheriff and talk to them and have that good, you know, that back and forth. So I think it's many, many good things have grown out of that resource. Funding proactive law enforcement. Is that a fair way to, to kind of say what we're doing here? It's fun. It, that's absolutely a part of it. But it's, it's also helping us understand their issues. And that, that goes into, you know, right now we're dealing with um, retirement for law enforcement. There's a lot of intricacies when it comes to law enforcement, what they can and can't do when they reach their magic number for purposes of retirement. We're trying to help them because, you know, there's a lot of constrictions on them that just shouldn't be on them for purposes of what if they want to come out of retirement and go to a school and help with those kind of things. So we're, we're working, working with them. Good deal. Let's take a break, Josh. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. We have our delegation. We have a partial two or three, a meatloaf, episode of the Delegation Hour. Let's go to the phone. 
Bill in Sumter listening to WDXY. You are on with the delegation. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Hey, so I got just a couple questions. Um, one, where are we standing on constitutional carry? And number two, is there any legislation on the books or coming up that is uh, dealing with, uh, I guess, cell phone and driving? I mean, I'd really like to see that tighten up quite a bit. And I'll take everything off there. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, gunslinger, gun. Hey, hey. Th- this is no longer Representative Lowe. This is now any Second Amendment issue. He turns into gunslinger. Gunslinger to the rescue. <laughs> you need a theme song. What's that music when Matt Dillon walks out of the saloon, yeah. out into the street? This is Clint Eastwood. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Have at it, Josie Wales. Yeah. So, so it passed the House. Okay, last year, we sent it to the Senate. And it didn't move. So we need people to not call their House member, but to call your Senate, your senator, and you tell him what you need because we need to pass that bill. There'll be some pressure. This is an election year. If you're ever going to get the Senate to respond to you, it's this year. So everybody, heat it up, call your senator. You don't have to call Mike Rickenball. He's on with us, no doubt about it. How can they find out what senators are the holdup? Well, I'm not asking you to call a name. I mean, you can if you'd like, but but it's how can you find out who's opposed to it? I think there were, we were three from passing this before, and we've replaced that one, one of those three. (laughs) Yeah, I'll stay quiet on that, but uh, we picked up a vote. So there's only two left on the Republican side. Basically, all the Democrats, you got to go give them a hard time. So in Sumter, you know what I'm talking about. You do need to call your senator. Uh, Jake, you care to comment on that? No. Um, this is the second time that the House and my time in the House has passed uh, constitutional carry. We sent it over, oh, my goodness, what, Philip, six, five, four, five years ago, and the Senate sat on it and wouldn't pass it. Um, so then we went back to the drawing board and we did constitu- or we did open carry uh, as sort of a step in that direction, which the Senate did actually pass. Um, and so now we've sent them constitutional carry so that they will hopefully go ahead and take that, that final step towards true, um, you know, giving folks, here's what I'll say about the issue itself. I've, I've, what I've learned over the course of time is that we make these laws, not for the people that break them, but for, for good citizens. Uh, and I'm, I'm just, I don't see the point anymore in, in making more, you know, give, putting more restrictions on people that do their best to follow the law. You know, the, the bad guys are going to break the law. Um, it, it's just what they do and what they're going to do. And so I don't see putting more restrictions on good, you know, law abiding citizens. And this is a perfect example of that. What was the second question? Uh, cell phone while driving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cell phone while driving. I mean, it, there's a law against that, right? Texting while driving, using your phone while driving. I think it's $25 fine if you're caught. So it hadn't really changed anything. Distracted driving. Yeah. I mean, is there, is there, is there, uh, is there a prioritization of that in Columbia or is that something that we're. We're kind of dealing with other issues. We'll get to that sooner and later. It, it'll be debated again this year. It's funny. I, I got a text on it two days ago, I think, on a, some uh, – While other, you were driving? <laughs> Probably. I'm going to exercise my Fifth Amendment rights okay. at this point. Uh, it, it'll be continued. It, it sort of fits in that, that slow uh, traffic move to the right kind of thing, too. A lot of folks you – know, there's a law on the books. It's just getting people to abide by it. I, I think anybody texting while driving in the left lane should be subjected to the Dale Earnhardt <laughs> Get out of my way, move. I, I just believe that. I believe that with all. Uh, if you're in the left lane, okay. If you're in the left lane, or if you're texting, okay. But if you're in the left lane texting, you, somebody be able to hook you on the on the rear quarter and 
put you in that in we'll, that catch we'll put fence. The gunslinger behind them honking the horn. And there, there, there you go. Well, go well I tell you, it seems like people don't know about that left lane bandit rule, and they need to learn it. I'm telling you, that's my pet peeve. <laughs> I'm gonna get a bill that allows you to have a bazooka on the front of your car, move people <laughs> like James Bond. Yeah, there you go. The bullets coming out of the bumper. Let's go to the bomb. Tom in Florence, you are on with the delegation. Thank you. Um, I got a question. I think I heard on Ken's show. Uh, Dr. O'Malley said that uh, they were raising the taxes in Florence County to provide armed guards at every school. And I was just wondering how come he hasn't done that. And I'll listen off there. Thank you. Thank you. I know they have these resource officers. I don't know what an armed guard, I mean, what distinguishes an armed guard from a resource officer? Uh, the county funds, if I'm not mistaken, the resource officer, I mean, that's a that's an employee of the county and sheriff's department, right? Representatively? Yeah, but the the uh, budget last year, we fully funded a resource officer in, in every school. So now they've got to find them. They've got to find people who want to serve like that because I don't uh, – I think we've funded, but that doesn't mean they've, they've all showed up for work and they found you know, enough employees for that. But uh, I, I, I think the county gets reimbursement now from the state is how that works for, for the officer. You want to add anything sure. to that? This was something that the governor, when he ran for re-election, made a very big, very big deal out of. And school Wright, shootings and correct. school safety, and we needed folks on the ground, trained law enforcement to protect our kids. Um, and Phillips, hundred percent right, we fully funded that. I think the issue goes back to something we were talking about earlier. In that, and Phillips said it already, of finding people available and ready to capable of doing it. Um, and, and unfortunately, we have we're, we have agencies competing. You know, the sheriff needs more people. Other ag- uh, police agencies need more people. Schools now need more people, and there's just a um, not the not the number of people we need. One of the things we're looking at is that retirement issue we talked about. Can we lessen some of the restrictions on folks when they go into retirement so that it encourages them to come back out and do a job like a school resource officer? Philip, are, are both of you on the record with uh, teachers carrying while on campus? I mean, are, are both of you clear on you believe – it should be okay for a teacher, man or woman, to have a weapon, a concealed and registered weapon, on them while they're teaching. Well, with restrictions, I mean, I think you, everybody's not capable, and people sure. that don't feel are capable, I doggone sure don't want them carrying. So uh, you could get the right kind of training. If you're smart enough to be a teacher, you're smart enough to be a police officer, right? I mean, it, it's it's not like you got to be smarter. Yeah, but you do have to have the desire and the courage to do that. There's a lot of bravery in putting yourself potentially in harm to save somebody else's life. Jay? I thought Philip had a great bill a couple sessions back. Unfortunately, we couldn't get it moving, but it was a, if you're a teacher and you want to volunteer for this training, we'll, we'll give you the training, provide it for you, provide the um, safety mechanisms for you to be able to have access to a firearm, um, and we'll pay you for it. We'll give you an extra added, you know, little bump in your pay for it. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't get uh, the traction across the state. It needed to come to fruition. It's bad to be in a situation of an active shooter and you're locked in a classroom with a bunch of kids. It's not quite as bad if you're locked in that classroom with a bunch of kids, but you've got a 38 or a 9 millimeter. Uh, I mean, it's still a bad situation. One is worse than the other. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm entitled to play it in its entirety. <laughs> well, why do Since you think we, that? Well, I mean, we played some, I don't know, Rev's convinced that Lennon rose from the dead and, and the Beatles <laughs> no. got back together. No. And 
They snuck off in a studio somewhere now there's, behind you, Central Park. and You cannot compare the two. So if, uh, when we played last week the new Beatles song, okay, that was a new song nobody heard before. How many times have people heard Born to Run? Well, I mean, Do we not have to enough. play the whole thing to get not the enough. point? Not enough. Not enough. I can assure you of that. Too many. That's what's wrong with, the, no, what's <laughs> wrong with America Jason. today is, you know, too much cowbell, too little Springsteen. That's the whole problem <laughs> oh, with America. With America today. Nah, I'm joking around. Um, and I know why you, you wanted to play that song because you wanted to make sure you you wanted me to admit that I, I believe, even though I'm not a big Springsteen guy, that Born to Run is one of the best rock and roll anthems in the history of rock and roll. That is very interesting that Rev has to say that. And and not only did you admit that, you also admitted off the record, not, not before our listening audience, that you could argue the Beatles were not a rock and roll band. True. Okay. Yeah. Ah, okay. So you couldn't argue the Stones aren't. No, but they could, are the could, rock and roll you band. You could argue the Beatles are not your quintessential rock and roll band. Um, a lot of arrangements and things that went into. They were intellectuals. I think McCartney and, and Lennon both were. And they experimented with so many different sounds yeah. and styles yeah. and music and instruments. And, and, and Jagger and Richards just grabbed booze and the guitar. Rock and roll, and they have at it, you know, and been doing it for 147 <laughs> years. So I have, looked, I have looked all week for some dude named Tyler. Because I'm trying to get Tyler to call uh, Shane. Because whatever Tyler did Tyler worked. from Spartanburg. Yeah, I mean, Tyler didn't tackle. Tyler didn't throw a pass. But Tyler ticked some people off, and they circled the wagons. And Jason Priester from AllClemsonTigers.com is with us this morning. Jason, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing pretty and, well. How about and, you? And I, and I want to say this, guys. I mean, I'm rocking my Gamecock shirt today, but I want to say this. If you don't believe we're in it for the people and not ourselves, Rev and I decided that being a Gamecock fan, both of us are Gamecock fans. Um, he's not been afflicted with that disease as long as I have. True. Uh, he inherited the pro- – I was born into the into the mouthfeet. But anyway, um, I told Rev, I said, man, we got to be fair to our Clemson audience. I mean, when we talk football, it's all about Gamecocks and, you know, and, and the SEC. And we got to be fair. Our listeners are very diverse, um, very loyal. And Clemson has a loyal, loyal following. I mean, Clemson fans do listen and put up with us yeah. a lot and, and you know, are talking about the Gamecocks, so they deserve. But, but, but a lot of it is self-deprecating. Some representation. You, you, you would admit no, that. I mean, no, a lot true. of it is self-deprecating. Imagine but if any, we were anyway, winning. But anyway, J- Jason and I agreed last week. I had a hunch, you had a hunch, that Clemson was going to play one of their better games of the year. They did. But, Jason, the one thing they did, I mean, you win the turnover battle. That That's a big deal. Wow. Uh, Notre Dame's a good team. I mean, they're a big offensive line. Their run game gave Clemson some problems, but Clemson didn't turn the ball over. Notre Dame did a couple of times, and they took advantage of that. Well, I wouldn't say Clemson didn't turn it over because they threw a pick six. They you know, Kind of one of those typical plays from this season, right? They, they were just able to overcome those mistakes instead of succumb to those mistakes. Um, they, and they forced some turnovers, something they had not been doing on, on that same kind of level. Um, when you win the turnover margin, it goes a long ways towards helping you achieve your goal on Saturdays. Clemson's not been able to do that. They've been very sloppy. You know, they were fortunate not to lose a couple more because they fumbled a couple times. They pounced on them, too. So, so they recovered their own fumble. So still some sloppiness they got to clean up. But, but that defense, man, it was just. They looked physical. At the line of scrimmage, they looked like the team we remember seeing when they were, I love saying this, you ready? When they were on that run. Because that means past tense. <laughs> yeah, they were yeah, on that were, run. Were they were on. No, I'm just run. saying they, they dominated the defensive line of scrimmage. I mean, they, they, the, to, to me, Saturday, they look more physical than they have all year. They won both lines of scrimmage. I mean, the, the Clemson 
did something Saturday that they probably should have done two games ago. They, they, they went away from all the counters and the traps that's associated with this new scheme that Garrett Riley's running and went back to what they know, inside zone, some outside zone too, but it was heavily relying on the inside zone, and they scrapped all the pulling and stuff we've been seeing with the offensive linemen, and they just went straight helmet on a helmet, and they dominated the line of scrimmage all day long, something I didn't think they were going to be able to do against Notre Dame. Is there any chance of a letdown? You and I saw, I mean, we, we agreed, because when you said you thought they are going to play well, I'm going like, I think he's right. I think they will rise to the occasion and um and beat Notre Dame. Georgia Tech's not Notre Dame, but you got to be careful. You still got to be careful. If you go in there and lose the turnover battle 3-1, it'll be a fourth quarter football game. If they go in there and lose the turnover battle 3-1, they'll probably lose. Um, they, they're just not good enough right now to overcome that, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They're missing too many guys, a couple of starting offensive linemen, um, best wide receivers out for a little while. Do get Will Shipley back this week, but they can't they can't lose the turnover battle each and every week and expect to be what they want to be. But you know, they those those guys were put on notice in that building last week, Monday, before the call in show. So I think somebody was gonna get Dabo Sweeney's eye Monday night no matter what. Because, you know, we we were I knew that he had went off in that building last week. I, I didn't know it was Monday. I was thinking it was Wednesday because that's the day I was told on, but Xavier Thomas told us after the game that he put them all on notice. After, it was Monday, all the way down to the guys who cut the grass there is what he said. But you know, I, I was told that all those coaches and players were pretty much told they were being evaluated these last few games, and he'd get rid of all of them. It, se- it seemed to me, and I'm not – I don't bleed orange. I'm, I'm a Gamecock. But it seemed to me that – and I'm, I'm, I'm making a judgment from a distance. But it seemed to me Clemson played – up until Saturday with a sense of entitlement, who we were, what we had done, and the college football world don't know you anything. I mean, if anything, you, you, you got to keep – I mean, that's what I think is always – and I think you'll agree with me here. That's what, to me, impresses me more about Saban than anything. How does Saban convince that crowd every single year to be as good as they – it's hard to do that, Jason. You know it as well as I do. Yeah, it's absolutely hard to do that. I mean – I I think part of this Clemson fan base has become spoiled over the years. They they don't just expect to win. They want to win by 20. They want to win by 30. They've seen it for too long, and if they don't win by 30, they're, they're fuming. And, you know, um, we heard Dabo Sweeney. He's brought it up a couple of times in the past few weeks, you know, losing the appreciation for winning, the expectations greater than the appreciation. Matter of fact, I think I heard a little bit of that from your boy Shane the other day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's already talking about appreciating for winning. Um but, yeah, it's it's hard to keep it up at that level, and what Saban's done is awfully impressive. And Dabo Sweeney is finding out it's extremely hard to stay on that mountaintop. It's probably harder to stay there than it is to get there. How much better is Georgia Tech this year than we expected Georgia Tech to be? Because they've been fairly competitive. They are much better than I thought they were going to be. Um, they they are what Brent Key has been able to do there in one year. Isn't that his name, Brent Key? Yeah. What he's been able to do there in his first year is just – it is impressive because that's a program that was down. You know, they've not been very good. Um, they've not beaten Clemson, I think, since 2014. All but one of those have been double-digit losses. They played Clemson tough in 2021, last time they played in Death Valley. But that's that's a very competitive football team, one of only 13 teams in the country that averages 200 yards per game passing, 200 yards per game rushing. 
on the flip side of that, they're only one of two that gives up 200 yards per game passing and 200 yards per game rushing. So this this is a team Clemson should be able to run the ball on. We'll see if they can because they should have been able to run the ball in North Carolina State, should have been able to run the ball in Miami, should have been able to run the ball in Syracuse. I can keep going on and on. They haven't been able to do it up until last week. Is this – I mean, it, you think Clemson covers? You think they're a two-touchdown winner? I mean, kind of what do you perceive happening Saturday in Death Valley? I thought the spread was a little high when I saw it. When I saw it, it was open. It had opened up at fifteen. Where that's I saw a lot. It. That's a lot. Um, I, I think I picked them to cover, but it's probably going to be a little under that. I, they probably won't. That, that Georgia Tech team's competitive, man. That quarterback's dangerous. He makes plays. Hayes King. He he's really good. Uh, I think I think Brent Key's got something cooking there if he can stay on it. Okay, and after Georgia Tech, I mean, we're doing a show at Rivals, the week of the Carolina Clemson game. Usually the Gamecocks have somewhat of a breather, and the Clemson have somewhat of a breather. This year's different. The Gamecocks host Kentucky. You guys host North Carolina. Does that affect the Carolina-Clemson game at all? I don't think so. I, I think those guys are But would you agree it's different this year, having competitive in-conference games the week before the big game? Yeah, it is a little bit different because you know, a lot of years SEC teams, SEC teams have played those weaker teams and Clemson started doing it a little bit too and it, it is a little bit different but I don't think it affects it too much you know you, you're gonna be up for that game no matter what you know, as long as you're not too beat up going in and that's it. what I'd be concerned about I mean there, there was a day as a Gamecock fan Rev and this may predate your time of being a big fan mm -hmm. Jason knows what I'm talking about when, when the Car when Carolina got in the SEC they inherited you know low man on the totem pole and there was a part of the schedule called the orange crush they would play Tennessee Florida, and then Clemson in consecutive weeks. And they didn't have SEC caliber talent. I mean, we can question whether they have it now or not, but I was sure they didn't have it then. And they play Tennessee and Knoxville, Florida in, in Columbia, and go on the road to play Clemson, and they were just out of gas. <laughs> I mean, they just didn't have much sure. left in the tank by the time they concluded with that with that orange well, crush. That was 30 years ago, so certainly they have that figured out by now. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at the team they're, they're fielding. I mean, it's obvious. They're talented <laughs> everywhere right. on the field. Too and deep that's every... when Florida and Tennessee was really good. Well, what, what do you make of this? And I want to get your take because I'd be interested in what somebody on the other side thinks. There's so many things about Shane Beamer that remind me of Dabo Sweeney. Absolutely. I think he's Dabo Sweeney light or Dabo Sweeney 2.0, you know, just a little bit younger. Um, South Carolina fans used to always mock Clemson for having a cheerleader for a head coach. And I don't think Shane Beamer is too far away from that. I think they are very similar, man. I think it's very ironic that, that South Carolina's kind of ended up with, with the same or a similar type of head coach as Dabo Sweeney after, you know, a lot of the fans mocked it over the years. Um, but, but I, I, I absolutely think they've got the right guy in the right place now. But the one thing Dabo did, that, that some people were concerned he would not do was go out and hire elite coordinators. I mean, Dabo had friends, coaching's a fraternity. Everybody likes this guy or that guy or another guy. But the one thing Dabo did, and I go back to Billy Napier. I mean, Dabo got rid of Napier and, and brought in a kind of a, um, what, what ended up being a real good offensive coordinator. And, and I, I think the jury's out as to will Beamer do that or not. Um, Gamecock faithful believe there's some issues on the staff. You and I've talked a little bit about that. There were a lot of issues on the Clemson staff. And uh, and I think Dabo was not a coordinator. I mean, he didn't put together a game plan. Um, but but he accepted that as part of his, I don't want to say deficit, but he went out and hired coordinators. And if Beamer does that, Jason, I think he's okay. If he's stubborn and bullheaded, uh, he may find himself collecting a check and, and no work being done. Yeah, I agree. You know, we saw Dabo Sweeney. He was willing to go out and get – 
the best guy for the job, and it didn't take him long to address what he thought was a weakness on the offense. He wanted never understand why he hired a high formation guy when he wanted to run the spread. Never made a whole lot of sense to me, anyways, because Billy Napier was a high formation guy sure. back then with C.J. Spiller, and um, but yeah, he went out and got Chad Morris, and, and then a couple of years later went out and got Brett Venables, and, and the rest is kind of history. Um, we'll, we'll see. I, I think there might be a couple of weak spots on that staff now. There's a lot of inexperience. We talked about it in here. There's a lot of inexperience on the offensive side of the ball. Went out last year and got Garrett Riley, what was considered one of the hottest offensive coordinators in the country. We'll see if he decides to make any more tweaks to that staff this offseason because I think some are coming. If Florida State is the best team of the ACC, is Clemson the second best? I mean, today it's easy to say they may be. Last week it was like, no, of course they aren't. G- give me the top three or four teams in the ACC. Oh, man, that, that's that's kind of a hard question to answer. Um, that's you why know, you just, paid the big bucks. Just, just from perception, I, maybe, maybe they might be the second best team right now. Second um, most talented. Yes. Okay, I agree. Absolutely, with that. maybe let, the most talented. I was about to say maybe even the they are the fifth most talented team in the country. You know, if you go just by sheer recruiting rankings, there's absolutely no reason to be seeing what we've seen on the field this year from a team with that much talent on it. A lot of youth and inexperience in a lot of places on the offensive side of the ball. I think that plays into it some. I asked Garrett Riley about that a couple of weeks ago. You know, he, he wasn't having any of that. He didn't want to hear about inexperience. He was, we six games in. We're not inexperienced anymore. You know. <laughs> so Clemson, Florida State, Louisville? That Louisville team is I – mean, they, they look good. They they do. They are much further ahead in, in Brahms' first year, and I thought they were going to be. Um, you know, they they are. Yeah, I would say them are North Carolina number three. Okay, that, that's interesting. And you would agree. I think you would. Louisville being good, North Carolina being good, is good for the ACC. Oh yeah. I mean, obviously, you want to punch your ticket, go play in the championship, and go to the Final Four. But I mean, your conference has to be competitive, and Louisville and North Carolina getting better makes that league more competitive. How many years did, did Clemson have to hear questions about their strength of schedule because everybody around them was kind of down. Florida State was down. Miami's been down since they joined ACC pretty much. Virginia Tech fell off a cliff when they joined or shortly after they joined the league. Yeah, it's extremely important. You you won't – you know, I don't want to say you want to actively root for your rivals, but you want, you want them to be competitive. You want the conference to be better than what it's been in the past few years. You need some help. You can't do it all by yourself. I mean, you can't expect perfection. Playing a weak conference and you have to run the table to get in, you know, it makes the margin for error very small. So as much as it aggravates you, you kind of understand the SEC, SEC, SEC chant. No. Yes, you do. (laughs) You just kind of sort of said you did. No. I said I do not understand actively rooting (laughs) for your rival. He's not not giving an inch on uh -uh. that. (laughs) Never. But but you would agree a rising tide lifts all ships. Yes. Okay. I I got him to admit that. And you would agree the SEC accentuates that more than any conference in America. Yes. And that's kind of what bothers you about the – the SEC. No. What bothers you most about the SEC, Jason? Uh, is it an arrogance? No, it's more about the way the conference has been pushed in a lot of years when I don't think it was that much better than some of the others. And, and most, to me, it's that term SEC speed. you telling me there's not that kind of speed on any That other is team? so interesting. Because I've and, seen it on other teams. I've seen it on clips, and, and I don't know. It's just the way that. But it became part it. of the game. 
I mean, all the scouts, all the coaches, all SEC speed. Great SEC marketing. Speed. It, it is marketing, and that's what I'm trying to tell you. Genius. It, well, I mean, they, they have been unbelievably genius in the way they marketed that league. I think there was a year or two or three that they were clearly better than everybody else. But there were six or seven or eight years. They may have been a, a smidgen better than everybody, but the country believed that they were just light years better uh, than everybody else, and they just simply were not. I think two or three years, they were obviously better than everybody. But, but you know, recent six or seven, uh, they may be a click better, but not much. I would agree with that. There were there were some years there where they were heads and shoulders above everybody. They absolutely were worthy of all the hype. Well, I don't had, know. It's just the way it was packed. Jason, you had LSU, Florida, and Alabama. I mean, those three teams were as good as any teams in America. And, and once Florida began declining, and then LSU kind of had their – but but when those three teams had those runs, I mean that that's the years that I'm I'm yeah. talking about. I mean those three rosters were like wow. I mean that those are you know in the first round the Detroit Lions take you know how many national championships did the SEC win in a row? I mean that, that yeah. kind of speaks volumes. like six or seven yeah, I mean, or somewhere thereabouts. Kind of speaks volumes. I mean there, there's no doubt the SEC is the best conference, the best football conference. To me, it, it's not it's it's not about that. It's just about the way it's just pushed on you by well, by, by the media when, when the total realignment happens and i'll say this and then we'll let jason get out of here it's going to be interesting to watch him walk in this studio one day after clemson joins the sec <laughs> donning to the face yeah <laughs> donning at sec and sec because they'll make him wear a hat and shirt mm-hmm. i mean you can't be a, a, an sec fan without donning the apparel that, that SEC i have logo. never worn an acc logo anywhere you can't be a member of the sec it's a requirement <laughs> they'll put you the guillotine if you, if you remember the sec and don't wear one of those shirts thank you my man Yes, sir. Good, Always good a pleasure. Absolutely. And how can people find you on Twitter and the work you do on behalf of allclemsontigers.com? Right there at allclemsontigers.com. You can find me on Twitter at JP underscore Priester. Thank you very much. We'll take a break. We'll be back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. We have Nick calling from Lexington. Nick, you're on the air. Ken, how are you guys? Hey, Nick, how are you? I hate to bring back the the uh, heavy burdensome question of abortion again, but <laughs> it is a heavy I, question. I mean, I just, you know, I think we all frame it the way we want to frame it, and we don't frame it from the other perspective. You know, it's really a guest host situation is the paradox. You know, you're forcing a woman to have a baby she might not want. You know, I mean, and it's, she might say, hey, I'll host one later. You know, I'm too young, you know, and, and I understand there's many songs like There Goes My Life about the the joy of the mistake. And, I mean, we're never going to be able to think that we're absolutely right and get anywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean Nick, do you believe you're absolutely right? on the fundamental role of government? No. Okay. Do you believe you're absolutely right on what the highest marginal tax rate should be? No. Do you believe you're absolutely right on what our involvement in Israel and Gaza should be? No. And and that's kind of where I'm headed. The, the only difference, and I think you'll accept this, the only difference in this and all the others is I'm monkeying around with life. Agreed. And and that's I mean that that's where to me that's the extra layer of complication. You, you sound to me like a guy who is very curious and accepting that he doesn't have all the answers. 
And, but but the only way I think we get to a better place is to argue the point where politics is a part of it, morality is a part of it, society is a part of it. And, and, and you, you said something kind of interesting to me. I probably don't give the other side enough consideration because I've made my mind up. In other words, I don't know that I'm on first, second, or third base, but I know I'm on the ball field, and right. and the other side probably feels the same way about me, in my opinion. And yeah, I mean, it's it's just like I mean, I could see an, a seventeen-year-old saying, "I'm going to have a child. I just can't have one right now." And I mean, I understand that feeling, but I'm a forty. I mean, I'm a fifty-six-year-old man now, and I know it's not that big a deal. You'll make it work. Your life's going to be the same. But you can't tell, I mean, I can't tell my 14-year-old anything. Yeah. I mean, I'm an engineer, and she won't take geometry advice from me. <laughs> it's called the big old messy world. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I mean, we say pro-life. They say pro-choice. I mean, it's just semantic, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if we're Vulcans, I mean, the reality is the problem is solved when we can take a baby and put them in a Petri dish and and give them for adoption. You understand what I'm saying? Sure I do. Sure I do. Uh, But until that point, I mean, like you even had uh, uh, Congressman Lowe say they got a pill that will abort at 10 weeks. You know, and we, you know, I I just, I don't think we as Republicans, you know, I talked to a buddy of mine, and he'd just rather die on abortion hill and let this stuff go, you know, meaning we'll just have bad economies and have the ruin of America, in my opinion. That's that's kind of a complicated and interesting uh, problem. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. we got to move to... um, Jeff Manasso is with us in Chicago um, to give us kind of an update on this uh, Michigan judge um, has heard arguments, I think, on uh, whether or not the secretary of state has the authority to keep Donald Trump's name off the state ballots for president. Jeff, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, my friend. Yeah, one day after Minnesota Supreme Court shot down the Democratic efforts to remove former President Trump from the 2024 ballot, uh, a judge in Grand Rapids heard arguments yesterday over similar efforts where activists are trying to force the Michigan Secretary of State, Democrat Jocelyn Benson, to keep Trump's name off the ballot. Uh, activists point to the Constitution's 14th Amendment that prohibits a person from running for office if they've engaged in insurrection in relation to the 2021 Capitol riot. Uh, no one, including the former president, has been charged with insurrection. His attorneys are demanding he be allowed on the ballot uh, as he's the leading con- candidate for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. Um Trump's lawyers arguing that the that state judges don't have a role in enforcing Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, that that power to enforce Section 3 resides in Congress, in Congress, uh, in Congress alone. Uh, even Jocelyn Benson, uh, who is is a, a fierce critic of President Trump, and if she had the power, she probably would. Uh, but her team in court yesterday telling the judge they they don't have the power to do it. But, but Jeff, my cons- I mean, my confusion, it's not a concern, but I, I certainly understand the, the politics in play here. 
But if Trump has never been charged with insurrection, how do we bring up that section of the Constitution? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> me. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. You know, they, what, yeah, I, I don't have an answer for you. One time you left me speechless. Well, I didn't leave I, you speechless. I, I know better know. than th- I know you better than that. I just and I know I'm the, I asked the question. I know the answer too. There is no case to keep him off the ballot. And you know that as as well as I do. Hey, Jeff, thank you for your time. Before we get you in in more trouble than it's worth, um, have, have a, a great weekend. Have a great day and weekend, my friend. Uh, Jeff Manasso of Fox News, and that's my. I mean, I, I read a lot of the. Uh, I don't know the opinions of the the leftists in Michigan about keeping him off the ballot. He's never been charged with insurrection. I mean, there is no charge of insurrection. I mean, he, you know, he peddled fantasy. He may have kind of, I mean, his, his, um, his, his, his motivations may have been to inspire some sort of civil disobedience, riot, um, rebellion, revolution. Um, but, but there's been no charge of insurrection. And to me, the Constitution speaks directly to, uh, if it's not insurrection, get out of here. But, you know, you've got a... Uh, a unique political figure at a unique time in American politics. And here we are. Uh, let's go to the phone. Someone's there. We have Jeff calling from Florence. Jeff, you're on the air. Hey, good morning. Um, well, look at that. The courts are good now. Well, they're good when we choose. I mean, yeah, that's, that's all right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, my, 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 I, field, I hey, my, my, the kicker at Carolina's good when he makes a field goal. He sucks when he doesn't, but <laughs> right. you know, depending on which right. way the wind's blowing, um, Jeff. And, and the Supreme Court's good right now, too, right? Uh, I'm beginning to wonder whether we got more than we bargained for with Roe v. Wade on my side of the aisle. Yeah. Um, that's a, I'm leaving that topic alone. Um, I'm moving on. Um, I wanted to get your take on the James Comer situation. Uh, you familiar with what's going on with his oversight committee? I am. Okay, so so he's uh, he's now issuing a bunch of subpoenas, uh, looking at Hunter Biden, not in relation at all to Joe Biden, his art dealer, um, his other personal matters. Um, is that weaponizing government? No, I mean I think eventually this will. I mean, it, their, their anticipation is it leads to Joe Biden. Okay, so, so again, like, I mean, I, 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 I want to interrupt one second. Just, just let me say this. Sure. I've said before, and I'll say again. I don't care what Hunter Biden did. I don't care what Jim Biden did. I don't care what any of the Bidens did. Joe Comer does. Uh, un, well, let me let me finish. Unless, unless the president of the United States financially gained, that then I have a big concern, and I believe he did. Now we'll find out. They may be barking up a bad tree, or, or there may be some there there. But, but I don't care what Hunter Biden has done. I don't care what Jim Biden has done. But something leads me to believe that Joe Biden is the big guy and he's personally gained from peddling influence. So, so again, no, no reason to assume that any money that Hunter got from selling art went to Joe Biden. Is that a fishing expedition? No, that, there, there's a lot of reason okay. there. There's a lot of there there. There's a lot of smoke. But, I mean, why do you have an investigation? You don't investigate things you're sure of. You investigate things you're suspicious of. And suspicion leads to surety, and surety leads to indictments and hearings and trials and and convictions. 
or acquittals. Investigations aren't necessarily partisan. I think all investigations in Washington are probably partisan. Oh, so this is a partisan investigation. Oh, I would say yes. Sure. Okay. Now, did you also see that James Comer happens to have a problem with his brother in loans? He's loaned his brother 200 grand. I have no idea what his brother expects in return. That would be interesting. Well, so he sold a piece of property that he inherited, his share of property, for $1 to his brother. That's on record. Then his brother turned That's not uncommon, though, within family members. I mean, that happens a lot sure it is. within family right. members. But then he turned around and sold his brother another piece of property at an inflated price. That sounds like a way to kind of settle the score. What do you think the tax ramifications might be? I have no idea. Should this be investigated? I would imagine the county or the city or the municipal, whomever the taxing authority there probably needs to say grace over to make sure they dotted I's and crossed T's. But I mean, that's not the transferring. IRS. And well, I mean, I would imagine, I mean, if, if there, if there are taxes owed, if there was a transaction that benefited, but there are a lot of, you know, this, and it's not, this is not, I mean, I think you'll agree. This is bipartisan loopholes are not all for Democrats or Republicans. I mean, the tax code in America has created a lot of loopholes and people play game with those loopholes. And it sounds to me like Comer may have played games with loopholes. Right. And, and, and just another thing, are you familiar with a company, uh, uh, it's a telecom company in China that we put sanctions on in like 2018. Uh, ZT, uh, in that uh, telecom giant Huan, where we banned their chips. I do remember Huan. that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not okay. as familiar with that as I probably was in 18 or 19. But I do remember talking a good bit about that. Yeah, you realize Trump's administration put sanctions on that company. Ivanka Trump was awarded 19 patents on one day, the next day that company was taken off the sanctions list. Does that deserve investigation? Well, I mean, I think it all deserves investigation, Jeff, but, but I want to say this. To me, the Trumps have a legitimate business. Coffins? Well, I mean, let, let me, the Trumps are legitimately, I mean, they're business people. You, you can like, like their you business, see? you can dislike their business, but they have a business. It seems to me the Biden's business is starting LLCs and having mailboxes. And you know what's funny? He acknowledges that. Biden acknowledges exactly what you just said. So, so, so am I more suspicious about a guy who made a lot of money in the private sector, got in government, may or may not cut deals in favor of family members, than I am someone who has no business experience, has never owned a business, does not, um, does, does that's not, wrong, by the way, well, I mean, that's, that's not true. He, they, they, they're, they're not they business on the board of directors of companies in the United States before he became board of directors of Burisma. You're talking about Hunter yes, Biden. He was. Yes. So you think Hunter Biden's a legitimate businessman? He, he sat on the board of directors. Of no, no, that's companies. not the question. You think Hunter Biden well, honestly is a legitimate businessman? What? I mean, yes. He is an insul- he's a lawyer. He he is a lobbyist uh, to a degree. Yes. Okay. I disagree. I mean, I don't think there's true? any legitimacy is, is whatsoever to the Biden business. I think it's mailboxes, it's LLCs, and it's cash inflows that come from foreign agents into one account. They disperse to other accounts, and I believe with all my heart that Joe Biden has financially benefited from peddling influence and and allowing his son to be somewhat of a surrogate 
or an operative within our federal government. Let, let me ask you this. Is Hunter Biden a lawyer? Yes. Okay. Do you believe that Hunter Biden might know more about regulatory compliance and law than Ivanka would know about voting machines and coffins? No, I think Ivanka's life and business career speaks for itself. I think she has been a highly successful member of the Trump organization, a multi-billion dollar family-owned real estate conglomerate. Hunter Biden opens LLCs. And goes to the bank, uh, goes to the mailbox, and collects money, and nobody knows what he does. Nobody knows what he does. We got to take a break, Jeff. I hear the music in the background. We'll continue this argument on uh, on Monday. I feel better when I argue with Jeff than I do when we comply with one another. Take a break. Back in a few. Damn, Jeff keeps me so long. Get behind on doing our duty. Trivia. Thanks to our good friends at Pepsi of Florence. Um, I think Jeff calls at the end of the show so people can't contradict some of the um, some of the commentary he offers. He likes to, to this, get the last word. To this people. You never get the last word. The host always gets um, the last word, and you got to take that into consideration uh, when you do call. So here's the trivia question. Correct answer, first correct answer, wins a six-pack of Pepsi product, couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirt. We talked a lot about the Ivy League and those prestigious elite universities that drive the – uh, kind of the narrative in American discourse. I talk about Harvard. That's in Massachusetts. And I talk about Yale. That's in Connecticut. There are two Ivy League schools in the state of New York. What two are they? Two Ivy League schools in the state of New York. What two schools are they? First correct answer, wins a six-pack of Pepsi product, a couple of takes Mondays to make Fridays, T-shirts, Josh will take your answer. I don't know if Josh knows the answer here yet or not, but um, we'll kind of work on this on the fly. Rev had to step out right here at the last minute to go take care of some business. Two schools from the state of New York are members of the prestigious Ivy League. What are they? You know the answer? Columbia and Cornell. You're right. Columbia and Cornell both reside in the great state of New York. Or if you're me, not so great state. Of New York. Who is this and where are you calling from? Diane from Bishopville. Okay, Diane from Bishopville. I'll get you back to Josh. He'll get all the pertinent information, and we'll have you a six-pack of Pepsi product and a couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirts, courtesy of our good friends at Pepsi of um, Florence. I want to go back into this with Josh Monday morning because we've had kind of a rambling Friday morning show, and we knew it would be. We have some features on Friday that are a part of the routine of our delegation. Uh, we have a delegation hour from 1 o'clock in the morning to 2 o'clock in the morning. That is brought to you by the John Fetterman Hoodie Company. We have the real delegation hour, and Greystone Properties is our sponsor uh, for that. I want to remind you one last time, or one last time today, that um, Wednesday, November 15th, one of our um, one of our recent sponsors here, Butler's, is having their 30-year anniversary bourbon craft beer giveaways refreshments uh some secret sales and in, uh, in commemoration and celebration of their 30th year uh back in the day josh when i had to gussy up a bit and, and wear some of those fitted european cut suits you yeah. know what i'm talking about you oh, yeah. see me you can see me rocking that um that's where i did all of my all of my shopping for men's hardware was it uh, was it butler so um we'll, we'll kind of talk about that as next next week progresses but, yeah, Columbia and Cornell are part of the 
can we say other side? I mean, it's higher education, but it's elite higher education. And I think we've got to make that distinguishment between the, the average institution of higher learning and these elite universities. Don't believe their feces stinks. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk Monday.